Yo, what's up guys and gals? Tonight's episode of Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by Jump for the Rose. Jump for the Rose is run by my good friend Marion Sparks. Jump for the Rose does not pay for advertising. They do not pay for anything. They are just really good friends of ours. Uh, I tell you that because I want you to understand how much I believe in this cause. Uh, Marion Sparks, you can go back uh, way back in the time machine of Gravity Lab Radio Vault, and you can find Marion Sparks as one of our first guests. Marion is a gal who uh, had no health insurance, found out she had breast cancer, and a company called The Rose, based out of Houston, Texas, The Rose, is, uh, helped her cure her breast cancer. The Rose is a nonprofit. A, a lot of nonprofit breast cancer uh, organizations are for research, and that's great. Uh, junk, or the Rose is about cure and treatment. They're helping women every day. So giving money to the Rose to me is super important, A, because one of my li- friend's lives have been saved by them. Um, number two, man, it's about any of these ladies, any of these mothers, any of these sisters, my, you know, my wife. They, they can save any of these lives. So check out Jump for the Rose. Jump for the Rose, run by Marion, is a nonprofit. Uh, a, a lot of these nonprofits use money for stupid things. No, man. All her and her staff work on a voluntary basis. Uh, they spend as little to no money as they can. So as much as they can goes to to their to the to their uh, to their organization or not to organization, but to, to their charity, and that's the Rose. So check out Jump for the Rose, jumpfortherose.org. They have a mini boogie every year. You can donate money directly on their website. You can also go to Amazon. If you shop on Amazon, check out smile.amazon.com, smile.amazon.com, and you can choose the charity of your choice uh, and, and see who gets money from you. Something like 0.01% of every uh, dollar spent is what donates. So just in a one purchase amount, it's not a lot of money. But if we all do it, it adds up super quick, super big. Uh, I think we've raised $400-ish in the last year for Jump for the Rose. Just by using smile.amazon.com, I say we, that's all of us who've used it. Uh, man, a lot more of you skydiving guys and gals use Amazon, and you're not using smile.amazon.com. I firmly believe we could raise $1,000-plus through that. So this year, let's make it a goal. This year, let's make it a plan. Tell all your friends, make sure your homies are doing it. Grab their phone. Uh, I have the Amazon app on my phone. It's kind of buried to where I can't find it, just in case I need it, but it, it's buried. The upfront center version is on my web browser. It's a link from smile.amazon.com. Save there. So every time I go to Amazon, I'm going directly there. When you pick your charity, you still have to shop at that website, at smile.amazon. If you go to the website, amazon.com, or if you go to the app, it does not contribute. You actually have to make a, cons- a, a conscious effort to, to get these um, this money raised. So check them out. Jump for the Rose. Jump for the Rose, uh, dot org. Super good people. Super great ladies. Love them to death. This episode of Grab Lab Radio also brought to you by Option Studios. Option Studios, man, I can't talk enough about their jerseys. Their pro jersey are dope. They're legit. I love the feel of the fabric. I love the breathability. I love the mesh side so my body can breathe and the jersey doesn't inflate or it stops ballooning and free fall. It's made by a skydiver, designed several versions before Adam was happy by a skydiver. Uh, really well articulated in the arms, so as you raise your hands, the jersey doesn't move. It doesn't come untucked out of anything. It stays where it belongs. We actually have new jerseys coming for Gravity Lab Radio. They were made, designed, all done, beginning to end, 
by the folks at Option Studios. Check out PullUpCords.com, OptionStudios.com. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. They will do everything from the beginning process, creating the artwork, uh, coming up with ideas. They work really well with you. Adam's good at translating your ideas to paper and, and then to final production. So it doesn't matter what you need. Wind blades, trade shows, uh, pull-up cords, jerseys, you name it, they do it. They absolutely crush it. Check out Option Studios, and uh, you won't be disappointed. Tonight's interview is with a buddy of ours, Henry Guyver. We did our first interview just oh, uh, under a year ago, and Henry was here for the Unlimited Jump Package. He started with 300, no, 30 jumps. He started with 30 jumps. How many jumps does he have now? Well, you guys are about to find out. I'm the target of a meat miss with 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. hey Henry Giver, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Man, Justin, Justin Grubbs, welcome back. Thank you. Where it has good to be back. Yeah. It has been, been a while since you've been back there. Sick and shitty feeling. You made me have to figure out those goddamn buttons again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nick- Had some nice uh, renamed plus plus one, two, three things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, any, if anyone knows anything about uh, OBS uh, software, you, we, we switched the cameras by pushing uh, a couple of buttons here, and I, I guess, accidentally reprogrammed or renamed some files on the computer with <laughs> a bunch of random numbers because I'm an idiot. Because of hotkeys. I can keys. tell what it was because I've done the exact same thing. Ah. <laughs> I, I haven't, I, I've engineered all of this. I'll just I, see I, like I random comments where I'm like, plus two, one. <laughs> oh, like when you're like on a Facebook <laughs> yeah. comment? Yeah, yeah, totally. I've never had to run that. Well, I've run that board once or twice. I haven't had that problem yet. When was the last time you sat back there for a show? Ooh, it's probably been over a year, dude. Maybe since it was me and Tex. You and Tex, maybe and Carlos. You and Carlos? What was first? You and Carlos or you and Tex? Gosh, I would have to say Tex if I had to venture a guess. If we only had a Magic Jamie. You know, dude. Don't don't you call him that. It's so funny. (laughs) I saw a meme said uh, Jamie is Joe Rogan's personal Google. Hey, Google. Okay, Google. Pull this up. Hey, Jamie, pull this up. (laughs) Say, okay, Ginger. Okay, Ginger. Oh, <laughs> so, Happy New Year, Mr. Guyver. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy New Year, you all. Have you well. ever hated the words Happy New Year so much in your life? It's a, it's a special thing now. Yeah. New Year, no jumps. Well, let's, uh, let's just hope that we have some new listeners within this last year who don't know your story. Why is this New Year relevant? What, have you, what did you do for 2018? I did unlimited skydiving. At Spaceland Houston and San, San Marcos, Marcos in Atlanta and Dallas. So All but Clouston. You did everywhere All but Clouston. Florida. All right. Yeah. What was your favorite? I I mean. Let's just talk about each one, maybe. Maybe that's a good idea. What'd okay. you like about Houston? Houston, I like the resources, and also I live on the drop zone, so it's it's got the the home feel for me. The mothership. The mothership. Uh, Dallas. So when were you in Dallas? What part of the year? Uh, for the 4th of July. Okay. Mm-hmm. Revolution, is that what we Revolution call it? Revolution boogie. Okay. Yeah, we th- there was good weather for that this year, right? Yep. Yeah, it was good. Um, Dallas, I a bit windy, but a really good wingsuit crew there. Um, Atlanta, 
small, but very beautiful. What a gorgeous Super little yeah. spot. You've been there, right? Yeah, a handful of times. Have you been there, Justin, to, uh, to Hotlanta? No, not yet. Also known as to. Space Lanta. It, it's the prettiest of the five uh, Space Lands, the prettiest location to me. Yeah, it's super nice. It yeah. looks like maybe the last time you were behind it was AJ. AJ. I'm just going by thumbnails because you're not in the video. Oh, was AJ before or after Carlos text? AJ was after Carlos. Okay, so yeah, AJ. Mm-hmm. When was AJ? Yeah, so how, how November 13th, 2017. So it's been over a year? Well, all right. Yes. Pulling it off. We got to get you back there. Fuck no. I see how hard <laughs> it is. Like <laughs> Justin gets back there and remembers it all so smooth. He makes it look so easy. I think I can get back there and do it. And you're pretty technically savvy, like using keys, using things, editing stuff. And you get back there and look like a bumbling idiot. And I'm like, I don't even want to try. <laughs> like, I, I think there's a balance to be struck between like listening to the conversation, looking up relevant things, and trying to get that on the, on the screen as a visual aid for anyone that watches the show. And then... To try and balance that with like participating in the conversation and checking audio levels yeah. and all that other you stuff. You guys yeah. got shit to do. I back find there. myself like zoning out too much and getting caught off guard. Like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, that's a thing I had a hard time with. Is I'm typically a very good multitasker, but dude, I all the things you just said. I'm I'm looking at Facebook. I'm watching the video production. I'm watching the audio <laughs> levels. Oh, Henry, did you just say something, dude. <laughs> so how many jumps did you make <laughs> over? The, oh, oh, hold on. What time of year were you in, in Atlanta? Atlanta, yeah. That's what I wanted to know. Um, it must have been May, very beginning of May. How was the weather then? It was nice. I've only been there when it's cold. It was not cold. No? Yeah. It was very comfortable. I can't say what month it was I was there because I don't remember, uh, but it was warm, comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, super nice, full trees. It, w- it was very, very nice, all jumpable weather. I did crash my drone there once. Oh, no. Into one of those beautiful trees. <laughs> Which one of a million? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a big one that's right. If you're standing at the main hangar looking out of the landing area, it's just to the to the left of that. I was watching the screen, like getting this beautiful, like cinematic shot backing up through through the, like next to the trees. Yeah, I just backed right up into one. But this was my my older drone that doesn't have any of the obstacle sensing stuff. So if oh, dude, they got obstacle. Oh yeah, dude, all of them now. No, all all the. Almost all the new ones would have it. See, Valerie, that's what you should have bought me for Christmas. <laughs> what, it's like $1,200, $1,500? Something like that, yeah. But you, you can get really decent ones for like definitely less than 1000 Like If you were going to spend 500 bucks, you could get something pretty awesome. 500 bucks, especially man. Like, especially if you're any good at being uh, an RC pilot and you get one of the little aerobatic ones and you and you wear the goggles and fly it around the house. That interests me, the racing yeah, the racing style. Yeah, but oh, that takes a lot more skill. Like the, the drone that I have, anybody could fly it. Super easy. You push a button, it takes off, and it does nothing until you tell it to. And if you're going to run into something, it tells you all about it. You were just a observer. Yeah. Voyeur. And then I, I, I do tell where to go a little bit. But it, it, it makes me look pretty good. I watched Greg flying his recently, and yeah, they're they're very simple. He flew his into a tree too. <laughs> <laughs> Not the only one. So Atlanta, man, <laughs> super gorgeous. Um, did you take a Nick, or I don't think you probably did, Henry? Did you take a right seat ride at any point? If you guys don't know what right seat ride is, most drop zones will do it right in the co-pilot seat, right in the right seat. I did ride in the sky van there once for a boogie, uh-huh. and we got to do a pretty great flyby. Dude, if you're ever if you're ever there and they're landing on the property to the north, 
Mm-hmm. North is away from the building, yeah? I, I really got confused <laughs> by directions there. Something like that. Henry, are you with us there? <laughs> yeah, sounds about Let's, right. uh, We're going to yeah, go with it. I'm going to have to look at a map to, to tell you. Sweet. Um, it's man. over yonder. It's that away. Coming in over the trees. It, they are coming in just over the trees. It's such a cool visual. It's such a cool look. Um, if take, take a right seat ride. If we're ever landing to the north there, it's super cool. Um, who's flying there now? I, I'm not you have sure. you have no clue. Yeah. So after Atlanta, you went to San Marcos as the last place. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. what do you think of San Marcos? What do you like best? San Marcos is super nice. It's blossoming. It's a blossoming spaceland. Dude, it's probably the fastest. It will probably be uh, the fastest growing spaceland, and it partially already is. Um, I have a lot of inside communication with with all the spacelands. Sure. Um, and one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of our jumpers here in Houston are going back to San Marcos. There wasn't a lot of fun jumper availability, a lot of load source slot availability. So they were jumping here, and now there's a lot more slots open. There's a lot more going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend, there's like four listed organizers. There's no event. It's just an organizer. Steve Downey is free fly organizing. Doug Fike, uh, Mark Farr, and somebody else is organizing. So, mm-hmm. so did, did you ask which direction landing away from the building is? Roger. Is uh, west southwest. <laughs> I would have killed us. <laughs> <laughs> Asian man in directions. There you go. So, um, landing away from the building is west. Mo- mostly west, but yeah, slightly southwest. Okay, so drops one sits this way then. Yeah, it mostly runs east to west. Man, I was so turned around there. I only made, I think, two jumps there the whole time I was canopy coaching on the ground, doing that canopy coaching for us this event. Mm-hmm. So San Marcos is that blossoming, growing drop zone. Oh, yeah. You know, we did a jump package crew field trip there. How, how mm-hmm. many days? We were there for at least three, three or four days. And I think everyone agreed that if we could get the numbers, we would be there as opposed to Houston just because it's so the, – the area is so nice. You know, Rose Sharon is – as classy as it gets is one thing, but uh, I mean, where else could you get your crack rocks and <laughs> skydive on, dude? <laughs> you, did you spend any? Have you spent much time around the city of San Marcos? No, not at all, dude. Uh, a, you probably will starve to death there because of the way you eat. Um, I had to accept some eating right and some eating wrong while I was working out there, but dude, they have some great little bars. Dude, they got this place with burgers, back porch, um, no, the front porch. Tap rooms in the back of it, dude. Their burgers are just off the freaking hook, man. Really good food. Um, so well, hang on, I, I haven't been there, so why don't you elaborate more? Uh, what did, What did you like about the area of San Marcos? Yeah. What, what appealed to you about it? Um, the scenery was nice. Uh, A little less flat than Houston, right? Yeah, <laughs> Get, getting over towards hill country, they'd exactly. say. Exactly. All right. Um, a little bit more scenic. Um, it's not so far from Austin. I think like forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about the same distance from San Antonio. Is that not correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, equidistant. Correct. And uh, yeah, we, we ended up going into Austin for an evening, which was really fun. But the drop zone, uh, it's got a nice landing area. It's very dry <laughs> a bit <laughs> compared to the, the, the Houston one. But um, I don't know. It was, it, it was just a, it, it shows a lot of promise. And, and, and we all agreed that, you know, it'll... We thought, give it four or five years, and it'll be number one. That's what we were saying. Uh, dude, it's so a lot of people have said things like that about Spacelands. Not all the Spacelands that open, mm-hmm. but like Dallas was definitely said to... B- I think you remember people saying... Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I think each one... I mean, 
each one has its own like great thing about it. Hundred percent. Like I love the facilities in Dallas. I really do. Super yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. It's really clean. Like the bathrooms are are great. The the new the new bunkhouse there is super super clean and nice. Um, like the the packing floor that's always so straight. Fresh vacuum lines. Like it's really great. Mm-hmm. But then. Uh, I like how open it is there too. Yeah, like yeah, it's all got the a good tandem community students feel, and everybody yeah. is all like one area. And then like what we were just talking about, Atlanta, it's just got such a beautiful like natural feel to it. Like you're in the middle of the woods almost. And then, you know, Houston, we've got the pond, we've got a really good free fly scene, we've got the tunnel so close. So I think uh, yeah, each one each one has. What'd you say you liked about he- the resources? Was that how you put it? Mm-hmm. That was a good way to say it, man. Did you fly in the tunnel at all this year? Cool story. (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, two minutes of tunnel time total. Yeah, did you go on a high flight? Uh, (laughs) I I didn't, but I I, I told Brockton if I go, I I definitely want to get a high flight. I asked Jay Vienendahl for a high flight one day, and uh, I said, just let it rip, dude. Have at it. Like, fucking throw me around. Dude, on the way down, he said he could feel me giggling. I was laughing so (laughs) hard, dude. Just It was a roller coaster of a ride. I just let go and gave zero control and trusted he was not going to slam me into anything and just let go. And oh my God. Have you done that yet? No, I, I don't think I've been taken on a high flight ever, maybe. Do take somebody who's a high level flyer who you trust, like a Tex, and say, just throw me around, have at it. And dude, it, Jake <laughs> bombed us down as quick as he could, hit the brakes as late as he could, stopped us like just off the net. Oh my God, it was it was a fucking ride, dude. So tell tell me what took you for these two minutes of tunnel time. How did you how did you make it there for that? Uh, this was a gift from my brother and sister-in-law, like maybe a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. So this before the jump pack. This this is when I had like. Yeah, like 28 jumps or something okay. like that. So I just went in there, and I floated, and then I got out. You weren't carving on your head, bro? Not not, not on <laughs> that occasion. You didn't flail on your back? <laughs> nope, not even. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're ahead of the curve. <laughs> um, so you, you were here for the jump package. You said 28 jumps. How many jumps did you have when you showed up this 30. year? 30. 30, yeah. And how many jumps do you have now? I have 1,342. A thousand thirteen hundred and so thirteen twelve this year. Thank you, math. Mm-hmm. Thirteen hundred and twelve jumps. <laughs> yeah, actually, he sent me a, a, a report of all the numbers, and I'm like, I'm glad you remembered them because they're on my phone somewhere. Yeah. So you paid uh, for those who don't know. We talk about it every now and then. I think most people realize the unlimited jump package cost Nick how much? Eight thousand eight hundred dollars. And you can skydive as many times as you want at any skydive spaceland. Um, specialty jumps cost above and beyond. So, for example, if a helicopter jump, I don't know. Wh- how much was the helicopter jump? So the helicopter jump, I think, was like 75. But it, it depends. So usually, so like night jumps are twice the cost of a normal jump ticket. Mm-hmm. We paid half price. So Basic that's not true for helicopters. What you guys are paying is above and beyond the $25 slot is exactly, what it is. Exactly. So like a $75 jump will cost you 50 bucks. Every $25 jump is free. Uh, any less than $25 jump is free. Mm-hmm. Um, but like extra altitude, formation load, stuff like that. There's a few dollars here and there, right? Yeah. yeah. So it, back to what the unlimited jump package is basically a chance to jump free all year long. There, there's a couple little nooks and crannies, holes there, that things that have to be considered. But overall, I mean, if, jump if as you much didn't you care want. to get down on those kind of novelty things, like if you weren't going to go, you know, we have high altitude weekends sometimes, mm-hmm. or 
you know, you, no one made you jump out of that helicopter, right? You could have gotten just as much practice and experience jumping out of an airplane instead of not paying the money. Right. So if you have the self-control to not indulge in those extra fun things, but then you don't get to enjoy the extra fun things. Mm-hmm. So 1,300 or uh, 1,300 some skydives, mm-hmm. $8,800. How many jumps did it take to break even? 352, I believe. I know yeah, that's, that's somewhere right around there. I think that is probably right. I have to ask that number every time we have one of you jump PCs on here. Um, uh, 352. 352. 352 jumps. Um, so some people have said when, when they go into this, if 352 jumps on, they're all free, or at each jump, the price for each jump goes down. Somebody once said, the first jump costs $8,800 and the rest are free. <laughs> What's your perspective? How did you look at it? I like the 8800 for the first one, and then I'll calculate it later just to kind of amuse myself how much I'm, I'm paying per jump. You paid $6.86 per jump. Oh, I was That's about to good. ask you how much you <laughs> paid per jump. Did you know that already? I did not know that, no. That's pretty good. Ginger, pull that up. Okay, Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> was that was that Ba-doop. right? Eight eight hundred dollars divided by how many jumps? Thirteen twelve. Mm-hmm. Well, thirteen twelve minus thirty twelve eighty two. No, thirteen twelve was this year. Oh, okay. I thought you said total jumps. No, thirteen forty two total. Yeah. It's like so then I did it wrong. Six dollars and seventy cents. Okay. Even better. It's Even off by better. sixteen cents. <laughs> Those fucking thirty jumps. Okay. Disrespecting <laughs> this Asian in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ginger doesn't work very well. It's <laughs> not very accurate, yeah. man. I misunderstood <laughs> the, the thirteen twelve if that was this year or total. Yeah, that's all this year. <laughs> so uh, on this whole idea, you came here under a name brand, a, a moniker, un, On Wheels Under Canopy. Mm-hmm. You and your yep. lovely, patient, endearing wife mm-hmm. decided to move into a bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was bus life for the year? You'd be surprised what you can get used to. I usually no, wasn't <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's been going... That sounds so negative when you say it that way. <laughs> I lived I'm like it must have started in a dark place. <laughs> I lived in a bunk room. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, it's, it's actually been really nice. Um, it's, it's cool that we built it ourselves and uh, we're able to customize it how we wanted. And um, yeah, there are certain conveniences you go without. And, uh, but overall, yeah, it's been, it's been great. We have how a nice little corner of the drop zone. How long does it take for a rooster to achieve full maturity? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. About... Four, four months. The hens, hens lay in six months. Rooster starts making like teenage noises in about four. <laughs> teenage noises. Yeah, he's like. Ah. <laughs> so tell tell me about your relationship with these chickens. How did this start? Uh, four to five months of age is what Google says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I like how the website references dummies.com, so you know it's right. Uh, Must be. Man, Justin's gonna go hard on that googling now that you said that, DJ. He's got to avenge himself. Or I'm just going to be like uh, Alexa every now and then in my house and be a total bitch like, I can't help you with that right now. <laughs> or <laughs> Stupid Alexa. Dude, you know she's writing all that shit down that someplace. She's still reporting it to the NSA. Telling her, but yeah, that's true. She can't reach Google, but she can send shit to the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> my sister-in-law's got one of those infusers that looks like a cylindrical th- thing. Mm-hmm. Other sister-in-law shows up, hey, you have an Alexa? Totally not. And so the man of the house, the, the brother-in-law, is like, yeah, go ahead and talk <laughs> to it. <laughs> <laughs> and when she I said... I think Alexa's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when it wouldn't respond, he's like, that's weird, and kept repeating things <laughs> into it, just egging it on until she figured it out. 
so yeah, how did you come to own chickens? Well, I have had chickens since I was a kid at my parents' house, and um, those must be really old chickens. Oh, they, well, they are. They, we've gone. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I know what uh, you mean. <laughs> iterations, um, but. We got. We had their sperm uh, cryogenically frozen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I don't know, we just kind of uh, a project, you know, to work on. We made the coop out of all reclaimed wood from the drop zone and, um, yeah, just built it. And we have seven hens and a rooster. He starts every morning at five. Not a very popular guy. No, no one likes him. <laughs> no. He doesn't seem to like you all that much either, from what I saw. No, we have to uh, throw down every day. So hold on a second. First of all, y- the rooster at 5 o'clock wakes up the whole fucking RV park. Yeah. I would punch you in the junk repeatedly. <laughs> what if I gave you eggs right before you were going to punch me? You know how to stop a punch. <laughs> <laughs> You're kung fu strong. <laughs> then I punch you in the junk and then throw eggs at you. <laughs> no, I'm going. <laughs> no, I'm going to eat those eggs because I want more tomorrow. I'll stop punching you in the junk. Um, so he wakes. No, for real, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. You all have chickens and a rooster over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got to go backwards in some of this rooster story because yep. recently somebody said to me, "Did you know you can get?" Chicks, uh, live chicks in the U.S. Postal Service or U.S. Mail or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't blown away by that fact because I learned that from you. Mm-hmm. How, how did you get these chickens? So these ones we actually got from a farm store in uh, Alvin. Did you get some in the mail at some point? Yeah, I have before. Here? In, in Colorado, yeah. Okay, but not here. Here you were just talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And you said you got these just for something to do? For eggs. Eggs. So may, So it's... Sustainable living kind of idea. Yeah, because we, we built a garden out there. and uh, How's that going? Uh, <laughs> the chickens uh, took over that, that project. Um, but I drive by that garden every morning looking at it going, <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had some stuff growing there for a while, though, didn't you? We did, yeah, we did. But since the I haven't battled the chickens with uh, protecting the raised beds, and it was kind of the season was done, so they have taken ownership. Dude, Liz can grow a fucking garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a big part of it. Yeah, she used to grow a garden down the RV park. It was it would just it would be overgrown, not in a bad way, in a good way with veggies. Mm-hmm. So she was really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, how many? So you had six hens and one rooster. Seven hens. Seven hens. Mm-hmm. Had or have? Have. Where do you live right now? S- same spot. Same spot. You're there for at least a couple more months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how many eggs does a hen lay, and how often? So. Typically one a day. We have had them lay two in a day, and then every once in a while they'll skip. But we consistently get seven eggs a day. But we the most we've gotten in a day is nine. If they lay more than one a day, are they at the same time, or are they like morning and night dumps? <laughs> uh, hard hard <laughs> to say because I collect in the evening, so I don't have to. Because some of them lay first thing in the morning. Some of them lay like later in the afternoon. So it's like pooping for us. We all have our own schedule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be uh, gross there, but. It is. When do you poop? In the morning, every morning. Which Very irregular. How do the hens wipe? Back to front or front to back? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> We've lost that. So, um, <laughs> they don't, and you can tell. <laughs> oh, great. Um, man, I, I've always been curious about owning chickens. So you have mm-hmm. to have a rooster. You don't have to. Hens will lay eggs without a rooster. Without a rooster, they, yeah, absolutely. Still at the same rate? Yep. They just won't be fertilized. Yeah, they lay babies if you got a rooster. 
So why I mean, do you have they, the rooster? So the rooster is the enforcer. So he maintains the pecking order. So like if one of the hens is bullying another one, uh, he'll go whoop their ass and then make sure that because they'll block them out from Bitch, eating. Bitch, be nice so. to Martha. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I keep those <laughs> bitches in line. It's true, though. <laughs> Bitch, but I have my money. <laughs> do you, take, have, do you have names for all of them? Uh, we have names for two of them. Does the rooster have a name? The rooster. Herbie. Herbie the cock. <laughs> and uh, what then a dick. Uh, Butterscotch, because she's the only one that's not that doesn't look identical to the others. Butterscotch? Mm-hmm. She's like golden colored. Mm. The but rest are just the rest? The rest, yeah. <laughs> so... If I don't have, so let's say I get some hens, mm-hmm. and I don't have a rooster, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? Are the ones just going to beat the shit out of one until it's dead? Um, so in Colorado, we've never had a rooster before, and we have had one die from bullying. But I th- were they making a bunch of rude Instagram posts about her? Uh, they <laughs> actually was it that kind of bullying? Was it cyberbullying? That's my question. <laughs> no, it was coop. Uh, solely coop bullying. Okay, but, got it. Uh, actually, it was the bully that died, come to think of it. Oh, really? Everyone ganged up on the yeah, show? Yeah. Because leave Martha alone. They wouldn't let it snuggle with them at night, and it was a cold night, and it froze. Oh, to man, that's brutal. Oh, yeah. man. That's what you get for being a D. Yeah, man. See, take life lessons from a chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't be a D. Or you're gonna freeze to death. Mm-hmm. So freeze to death. Let's. You're in Colorado. Sorry, mm-hmm. this chicken thing interests me. If you yeah, can't yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, in Colorado, you had chickens. Yeah. How do chickens deal with cold weather, and what do you do about it? So basically, you do nothing. Um, some people. I like this plan. This is a good plan. <laughs> um, if you insulate the coop. You have a couple things that some people do, like insulate the coop and put a heat lamp in there. But um, like a dog or a cat puts on a winter coat, if you keep the coop warm, they won't build their personal defense for the cold. So if you let them be seasonal, they'll stop laying in the winter when it gets really cold. They haven't stopped here because it's not that cold. But um, usually they'll be just fine. Like Colorado, you know, we get down to like, Negative twenty sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, no problem. They were, and what temperature do they stop laying? Like you say, it gets too cold. They stop laying. Mm. In Colorado, it's usually like November, so probably just. So 30s, November 20s. through March, April, you don't have li- eggs. Yeah, probably March. Okay, I Valerie and I are looking at moving someplace cold at some point in our lives, mm-hmm. and the idea of actually having a piece of property that's big enough. To have animals would be nice, including like chickens and eggs. I, I can get behind this idea. Oh yeah, super easy to care for too. What do you like as far as food? What are you giving them? Are you just letting them scrounge off the planet? Scrounging off the planet, uh, kitchen scraps and a uh, food that you know you have different foods for different life stages. So if they're chicks, they need higher protein, and then once they're laying. They need higher calcium for eggshell production. So I'll give them oyster shells, too. Nick going big with that. Zevia. I would have, man, discipline. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a Zevia for a few weeks now. Yeah, I know. You've been, like, holding off. I offered you one recently. You're like, no. Well, so it seems like, I don't know what you know about stevia, but that it doesn't digest in your stomach, that it digests in your 
lower intestines. Oh yeah, that stuff gives me the runs like nothing else. It 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 makes me really gassy if I t- <laughs> if I have it with food, but if I have it with nothing else, then it's fine. Okay, I don't. But I haven't noticed an issue with how I produce anything with or without it. Eddie, I guess it doesn't bother everybody. And I was drinking a lot of Zevia when I when this issue. When I noticed it, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit more moderate consumption of Zevia is going to do me better. It also might be I don't drink tons. I drink like a couple a week at most. At that's busy. Three a week is super busy. So, I'm sorry. I'm back to the chickens. Oh, <laughs> dude, I like I like where this were chicken the, where, talk. where were the chickens at? Where were we at with chickens again? Uh, diet. Got diet. Uh, so y- you feed them whatever feed. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to maintain these hens? It's not very expensive. Um, uh, man, bag of feed do nothing. It's not expensive. Yeah, I like this plan. It's easy. It's really easy. I think we get them the organic feed, and I think it's like eighteen bucks for a fifty-pound bag. So we're down to still underwear and prosper. I mean, we're done right now. <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, it's. I think it. After after your startup costs of the coop and and all of that, it's probably. Well, I don't know. Eggs are really cheap, but these eggs are really good, so it's 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 worth it. And a fifty-pound bag will last me, you know, a couple weeks. And how much land do you need per hen? What's smart? I think they say like three or four cubic feet. That's not much. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, but you you want to give them uh, space to to roam because. Illness and uh, bullying and that stuff usually occurs more frequently when they're in close quarters. Oh, yeah, but I'm thinking like six hens on a couple acres is nothing. Oh, yeah, no yeah. way. That's fine. Yeah, I wouldn't use all a couple acres. I could just oh yeah, and fence off an area. Totally, yeah. And if you, if you so you've got a rooster. Mm-hmm. It'll fertilize the eggs. Mm-hmm. If you leave the eggs with the hens, you'll eventually get chicks. Yes, but they have to get broody. So I'm stealing their eggs every day. They expect the egg to disappear. So they lay it and they go and do their thing. They hose. They expect them <laughs> to come take that. <laughs> <laughs> if if I didn't take the egg, I think their instinct to to you know incubate it might kick in. But as far as they're concerned, it's just a body process that they need to get over get over with and then get on with their day. So broodings when they sit on the egg to yeah incubate they get it. all motherly and. Or you can incubate the egg naturally yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever raised a <coughs> chick out of an egg? I've not. No. Man, now like life goals. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, man, I'm thinking I, I get old. I move, move to someplace nice. I raise chickens for fun. That what a hobby. I, I, I'm in. Have you seen the movie Chicken People? <coughs> no. <laughs> oh my God. It's a documentary on Netflix. Did you see the look on his face? <laughs> no, I, I've you have to see. Haven't it. seen you that excited about many things. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. So you guys know what Best in Show is, right? Yeah, like it's a yeah. mockumentary for dog shows. Chicken People is real life chicken show people, and it's as Ooh, funny, that, if not funnier, <laughs> than Best in Show, the real thing. Does sound really great. It's fucking hilarious. What's <laughs> the faces you're making over there, Henry? Hmm. <laughs> you seem you seem interested, like you want to compete <laughs> now. <laughs> Oh, these are like no, obsessive. He- Henry's like, just remembering when he signed the waiver to be on the show called Chicken People. He's hoping we don't see him. On <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've seen I've him like caught. three times, so I'm pretty sure he wasn't on it. Yeah. So Henry, we called <laughs> you here to reveal your episode of Chicken People. So guys, if you've seen Chicken People, season three, episode two, Henry Guy, <laughs> so Google good. it. 
<laughs> DQ's trying to Google shit right now. Like, what the fuck, man? He, he's lying to me. <laughs> so, sorry, the, the chickens have got me totally perplexed. Ten out of ten people would see chicken people again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we going to move on from chickens? Yes, we are. So, chickens, you guys got chickens. Mm-hmm. You've got your bus. Yep. You didn't show up with AC at first. Nope. Eventually, what happened with that story? We got AC. We got a window unit okay. in, in the bedroom. So right now there is the next breed uh, of fun jumpers coming to whatever Spaceland drop zone mm-hmm. or whatever other drop zone. We're not the only one who does a year pass, uh, but we, we get a lot of folks, and some of them are building their own buses. Some of them are doing their own build-outs. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend showing up with AC to Houston? It's not optional. <laughs> it's <laughs> not. It's just when <laughs> you do it. Yeah. <laughs> so you, your wife lives with you. Uh-huh. I don't. Have we, have we talked about that? Your 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 kind pretty wife. I think so. we talked about it on the last show. She was here, uh-huh. right? Last show. Yeah. God mm-hmm. dang, she dresses so nice. Every so time I see her, she's a classy broad. <laughs> she's got to make up for me. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> but she fits the term. You know what I mean? Classy broad. <laughs> yeah. She fits that term, dude. I just broad is probably sexist, and now I'm Bill Cosby and pudding pops, but <laughs> broad. Wow, it's getting sexual and violent. But uh so even even if you didn't have this non skydiving wife living with you, you, you would have you would have caved and oh yeah. for the AC. You're, you're not going to sleep in the summer if you don't have AC. It's not happening. So hot, so humid. It's, it's a must. Houston, if if you've never been here, um when I moved here and I don't know if you heard the same story, Nick. Everybody told me, like, welcome to Houston, man. You've never seen heat or temperatures like this. And I'll tell you, any place in the Midwest, like I lived in Indiana for four years, we get the exact same weather in Indiana as we get here in Houston. The difference is is the hottest two weeks of the summer of Indiana is four months in Houston. That's the true difference. It's not how hot and humid it gets. It's how long it freaking lasts for. Yeah. Um, Heat index over 100 degrees for... Months a, a, for literally, I, I don't know if you remember. There was a couple months, a couple years ago, that we had uh, over 100 degree heat index for like 90 days or something. It's awful. Every every winter, I think, God, I don't remember getting this cold last year. And then every summer, I think, God, I remember it being this hot last year. And I think the the moral of that story is, I am a pansy. It's not been that bad this winter. It's not. No, it's it really been hasn't. wet as heck. Well, it's really gonna hasn't. be 38 in the morning. You want to come run on the runway? Negative. You're going <laughs> to run? I don't think I could run. Yeah, I've been running. Still. Do you hate yourself more this year? Uh, I'm trying to. Oh, no. Have you ever seen Nick run before this conversation? He I hates running. Seen. It's one of my least favorite things. That and uh, gender reveals. Oh, God. I love <laughs> gender reveals. <laughs> <laughs> Will one of you please get someone pregnant so I can tell the world about it with skydiving and smoke? <laughs> we want the parachute to open, and if it's a girl, it'll be pink, and if it's a boy, it'll be blue. Yep, this happened. This is a real phone call <laughs> that I handled. I want oh you boy. to swoop and headbutt the <laughs> stomach so the baby pops out and <laughs> then find out the gender. <laughs> <laughs> that is a gender reveal I would Pop! gladly do as long as everybody signed a waiver. <laughs> How were you born? <laughs> skydiver punting me out of my mom with his head. <laughs> yep, first skydiver out of the womb. <laughs> Boom. All right. It's getting crazy <laughs> over here. What were we just talking about? You things you hate. Oh, oh running yeah. on the runway. Yeah, running, yeah. Mm. Started running. Um, 
So a- AC is not optional in the heat of the summer here no. in Houston. Yeah. Uh, the bus. What else did you, so you told us a little bit about the bus. We're not going to go into those details, but what mm-hmm. upgrades did you make this year to your living situation? I mean, really, the key is the the AC, mm-hmm. and we got a space heater as well. So kind of both both sides of it. Just because we insulated the bus so poorly, I mean, we'd, we'd be like didn't really because we wanted to keep the windows, and we knew what we were sacrificing. But we kept the the window unit in the bedroom, which is walled in, so it was really easy to keep that cool, and then just suffer everywhere else. Dude, it's we lived in an RV and it, it was brutal. It was brutal. We literally would have to, even it, uh, if you have a proper RV uh, uh, air conditioned unit on top, they have to work so hard to keep the places cold. They commonly will freeze up and then trip breakers and you go back in your RV. It's a 120 degree oven in there. So if you're moving to Dallas or to Houston or someplace like it, uh, really any of the southern drop zones, and it's going to be hot and you have pets. Make sure you have properly insulated, properly uh, uh, climate-controlled places, and then check regularly. A dude who was in in a canopy course recently kept insisting between jumps, hey, I need to go check on my dogs uh, between this or that, and he was worried about his AC. It was the hottest day of the summer. (coughs) I never argued with him. At the end, he was like, man, it's really nice. I'm like, dude, how many times was your AC uh, frozen? He's like, once. Like, exactly. You can't survive here with it uh, otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. So you guys lived on the bus, Unwills Under Canopy. Part of that, you were going to make a documentary at some point? Mm-hmm. How's that going? And I was, I've been, you know, now I have time to look at all the footage. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started a Dropbox for the Jump Package crew to start oh. getting footage together. And uh, it'll probably be done in, like, six years. <laughs> the the tone in your voice, I thought it sounded like you were gonna say a small number, and I was like, yeah. "Man, he's either being he's gonna be real optimistic right now with his estimate." I was and like, I was like, "Oh, cool, hit it right on the head." <laughs> he's busting ass. It's so much. So first of all, how much how how much data of store of, of video do you have? How much? So I've got hours of just the bus build because it's gonna include all of it. So I've got interviews that Ali and I did. Um, I've got I've got footage from China, from us talking to our coworkers about it. Um, there's there's a, a lot of footage, uh, at least, I th- I think including the skydiving, which is obviously a lot of video. It's at least like nine hundred gigs or something like that. Like it's almost a terabyte. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> so you're you're still imagining that you'll build this video? Yes, I'm. N- you know, I'm at peace with that. It's going to take a long time, right? But uh, I, I do plan on, yeah. Do you, you have a, like a duration in mind for how long you think it'll be? You know, from my limited experience, I think hours and hours of footage will probably boil down to like 45 minutes, maybe. So you're looking at making this a a drawn out documentary, a, a 30, 45 minute pro- uh, product. Yeah, I'll probably what I imagine is I'll do a short and uh, and a longer one, one that's kind of a synops- synopsis, synopsis, one for synopsis. social. Yeah, one for social exactly, and then for people <laughs> with nothing else to do. <laughs> He's using that word just to bother me. Yes, social. I am. Social. I'm hashtag triggered by that word. D- did you? Uh, how'd you respond to my text today? When I yeah, I just ignored it. <laughs> you did so not because you overlooked it. it. <laughs> no, you did. Yeah, not. I to- I noticed it. I'm not going to address it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this 30 to 45 minute version are you going to 
be grabbing in? Do you have any other footage, ground footage, since you started jumping, interviews with jump package people, interviews with yourself or your wife? Um, some with myself and my wife. Uh, I meant to get more of other people, but when you're in the mix, you know, you've done 10, 13 jumps in a day for the past six days. You don't really feel like doing anything but eating and going to sleep. On that bad weather day. Now imagine those jumps all being tandems. (coughs) No sympathy. sympathy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you get money. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, get money. It's a fun job for sure. Uh, So all this footage, 30, 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. You said six years. Do you have a reasonable time frame you're really looking at? I mean, my my goal is six months. Okay. So sometime in the next six months, you do hope to have it done. Yes. So now you've done all these jumps. You've done all this uh, going on. This Mm -hmm. year... A, what did you start with skill set? What what were you able to do? 30 jumps. Survive. 30 jumps. Um, the most people I had ever jumped with was one other person. Uh, wait, no. One plus Nick Lott on the outside. Oh, yeah. I, I shot your guys' <laughs> two bags. I don't remember that jump. <laughs> so every jump with Hank is a three-way. <laughs> That's so rude. Why, why would you say such a thing? Um, because he's such a friendly guy, there's so much love to go around. There, okay, good save. <laughs> uh, yeah, so not a lot of skill going into it. I was looking at my um, my records, and I did one jump in the beginning of the year, and then the canopy course immediately afterwards, which l- in retrospect was a really good idea. <laughs> well, and I planned for it, but it was also a good idea. Um but in terms of skills that <coughs> starting out, passing a formation, you know, like <laughs> rocketing past. Uh, so nothing. Survival skills is what survival, you had. Survival, exactly. So one thing you mentioned is the first thing you did uh, was a canopy course. Mm-hmm. I hear from people all the time, and, and I'm sure Justin as an instructor will hear the same question, Nick also. New jumpers will ask me, should I take a canopy course right away or should I wait till I get my own gear and take it when it's relevant to my gear? What's your answer? I would take it right away. Why? Because the, you're building muscle memory that will be applicable across the board. <coughs> it's not some special technique to, you know, your gear. It's going to be building skills and also awareness that will be translatable. One of the things that uh, people should be doing with good canopy coaching, good canopy courses, uh, at courses in particular, coaching can be taught specifically uh, canopy to canopy. In the course, we're teaching you skill sets to understand canopies. Mm-hmm. So, hey, this is the canopy, the characteristics your canopy has. This is how you understand it. This is how you figure it out. Now you can take the same exercise and apply it to other wings and understand how other wings fly better, different, or, or the same. An example, I, I've had friends tell me, or I, I've seen friends, and I've even seen gear store people or gear sales people say to a jumper, like, oh, you don't want the pulse that flares like shit. Well, sure, if you flare a pulse like a saber, it flares like shit. It really does. But if you flare a, a saber like you flare a pulse, it also flares like shit. Stop the vehicle the way it was designed to be stopped. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so the canopy course is designed to help you learn how to f- to learn each wing, mm-hmm. um, number one. And number two, start with good habits, start with bad habits. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? Well, I think I I said this to you earlier at one point. You don't have to do it the wrong way first. So getting coaching... Uh, I realized, I mean, the canopy course, um, but I realized late in the year doing the uh, wingsuit coaching how valuable it is and that you can 
cut a lot of, you know, growing pains out through getting good coaching. And how much coaching did you get this year? I mean, formal coaching, I got. I did the canopy course, and I did uh, the next level wingsuit camp. But other than that, it was all friends and, you know, people chipping in. Informally, how yep. much coaching would you say? Days worth? Oh, yeah. Weeks worth? For sure, yeah. So I want to be really careful with the advice that we're giving right there is mm-hmm. the informal coaching is commonly bad <laughs> ideas. Mm-hmm. Most informal coaching, most advice you're going to get from your buddies, most advice you're going to get from your friends is the best advice, would you say, or the worst advice? Uh, it depends on the friend. <laughs> and that really is. And <laughs> That's unfor- the problem. Unfortunately, most of our friends aren't the most skilled skydivers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have a unique uh, uh, place as far as you're on a drop zone full-time. You're around full-time skydivers, so the people you're exposed to with this coaching are full-time jumpers. Mm-hmm. Would you say for the average person, informal coaching would be the best idea? No, definitely not. I mean, like we learned in the coach course, you know, part of your responsibility is to battle misinformation. And uh, there's a fair amount of that going around. And once part of it is learning who to ask, you know, questions of. And how do you know who that is? Um, well, I ask, you know, there are, we have people in the drop zone that, coach specific skills and so you should go to them yeah but it's so uh, i've seen coaches at even our drop zone but i've seen coaches at other drop zones and and any of you guys please chime in with this that the guy sounds like and looks like he knows what he's talking about but to the trained observer the guy's full of crap and giving you really bad advice he just <laughs> sounds good <laughs> nick laughs immediately um so how did you figure out who to listen to and who not to listen to well, I had a lot of, I don't know, ex- exposure, and I got to know people. So I, I did end up actually getting uh, a little bit of <coughs> coaching from uh, Carlos for tracking. Uh, he forgot his SD card, and so I, I knew I had him by the balls. So I said, uh, he's like, I said, I'll give you my camera if you give me a free coach jump. And he's like, yeah, all right, great. <laughs> but uh, in terms of how I got to, you know, I just asked, and someone said, you know, he's he's commonly the go-to guy for tracking. Um, yeah, I don't know. Fudala was one of them as well. It's hard, man. As, as a fun jumper, if you're on a drop zone, uh, I would recommend find instructors and ask them about local coaches. Hmm. But I would also... Man, I, I'm very wary about asking the most popular instructor for advice on anybody. Mm-hmm. And, for example, Nick Law is somebody who everybody loves and, and loves everybody. And you smirk because we know that's not true. Ha, thank you. I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> oh, no, paint me as some fucking superhero right now. But I, wanna pay, I want you just to be that guy. Okay, I'll be an minute. example. So now people go to Nick Law and ask him that. Well, he says nice things about every fucking buddy. So can th- that most popular instructor, that most popular guy, can you really trust him? You know, I can think of some really good friends of mine who I don't trust their opinion of somebody because no matter what I ask, hey, what do you, what do you think uh, of Chuck Akers? He has a lot of hair. Um, if you know Chuck, he's bald as <laughs> shit. So it's just, just an obvious opposite statement of truth. Um, he's going to say nice things about everybody. So don't find your instructors who are, are super friendly to everybody. Find the ones who actually uh, are middle of the road. The most grumpy guys are going to hate everybody, too. But find the guys who aren't afraid to say something like, oh, yeah, man, know that Henry Guyver, he's a jackass. You don't want to <laughs> listen to him. So next level, how was that? How how were they as a camp? That was awesome. 
It was so, <laughs> it was so good on so many levels. <laughs> so what what are these different levels? What sort of what? So from uh, we went from like really technical stuff, fundamentals of flight, how a wingsuit works, um, what what makes us fly, uh, what adjustments make you know make us fly differently. Um, it was we also had a chance to kind of pitch in and say what we wanted to work on, and they split us up into groups. Uh, based on uh, s- skill and interest. And then over the next couple days of the camp, rotated the the instructors, which was really nice so that we could, uh, you know, everyone has a different teaching style and a different learning style. And so it gave you the best chance to match, you know. I really enjoyed seeing those guys. Uh, I I sat in on the safety briefing just to represent the drop zone side. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of sat in on some of their debriefs. And something that I don't, uh, just a note to talk about later, Um, something that that I'd like to hit on better in coach courses and I don't always remember to, but debrief is spelt wrong. It should be bebrief. And they said so much by saying so little. Mm -hmm. Those guys were so powerful with, with the words they chose. Really impressed with him. Uh, Luke Rogers. I, you know Luke. He was here. He is actually, and Luke is what that note is about. We're doing a, a gig with Luke. Uh, he is a next-level coach mm-hmm. and a super good dude. So if you were to come back and do this over again, would you have a better plan for more organized coaching? Definitely. I would, <coughs> I would budget for it, and I would try to do it regularly. So maybe like... Once a month, at least. Once a month, get canopy coaching, free fall coaching. Yeah. Um, what about tunnel time? Would you incorporate that? I mean, that's a lot of money because you're already spending yeah, $9,000 on jumps. I mean, I don't know. If if you have the money, great. Go to the tunnel. It's a great tool. Uh, for me, I don't have the money, and I didn't have the money, and skydiving <coughs> satisfied my, my desires and... And uh, and what downtime you have from thirteen or skydives you need a break to rejuvenate the body. Right, exactly. Um, one day of coaching a month. Um, coaching Nick, do you know what text charges? Does anybody know what text charges for a day of free fly coaching? Gosh, I don't. I I feel like uh, I'm gonna. Th- there are common coach rates or f- common day rates. Like, but that I think I'm not sure if that applies to someone just organizing a group or if it's the same for for one-on-one coaching. I'm, I'm not certain. I'm gonna say most coaching. If you plan on spending three hundred dollars a day just on the coach, not counting his jumps, you also have to pay for their jumps. You're gonna be smart because a common going rate for a high-level coach is gonna be three or three fifty. Not uncommon at all. Um, you can see lower two hundred. I know for the rating center, all canopy coaches for now at least. Um, I ask all the guys to charge it, and I, I set the rates for it, and we charge two hundred one ninety five. And my biggest concern is canopy coaching to me is the most important coaching skill we should have, um, or the most important skill set we should have is canopy flight. And if it's uh, affordable, people would be more apt to get coaching. So we we keep that rate pretty low one ninety five for a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, plan on getting more coaching. What else would you do differently for the year? Besides coaching, you know, I think differently. I mean, I, 
I'm pretty satisfied I, with with the exception of the coaching. Um, if I had, I I think I would have budgeted differently. What do you mean budgeted differently? Like in what way? Like I'm flying a canopy that's bigger than I want to because I don't have the money for a smaller one. What are you flying right now? Spectre 150. What are you loading that at? Like one three. Okay. Not a bad place to be. No. But I could see you being higher and being way okay with it. Yeah. I've survived all my wingsuit jumps with it, though. So. Yeah, I mean, you survived canopy collisions with it. Why not? <laughs> yeah, ground crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have that video on my phone. <laughs> that, that got sent to me within like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it, can't, it doesn't seem like anything can happen on Spaceland Houston without it getting sent to my phone somehow. <laughs> Somebody sent it to me, and uh, I was like, ah, I think that's Henry Guyver. And nice job flying it out. Did you see this? No, I heard it talked about, but I didn't see any video. So him and a good buddy of ours, and we'll, a good buddy will be nameless. I don't want to give him grief or give him shit, man. Came, came into a canopy collision on plane out. Uh, both of them were across the ground. Henry ended up popping up maybe 10, 15 feet. Nah, it's fit 10 feet. And then landing, and it, everybody lands okay. Immediately, uh, a buddy of ours, Frank Chance, uh, asks, I can hear his voice in the background, are you okay? Uh, the other guy immediately is like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And you obviously were okay because you stood it up. So a uh, pretty decent collision said and done. Very well handled on your part. And for the other guy, just it, fortunate it happened at the altitude it did. Because, mm. <laughs> man, I love that other dude a lot. And I would hate so to see it happen. Was this just someone not following the arrow? Was this what, how, how did the convergence happen? Um, it's kind of hard for me to say because from my point of view, I'm about to land and I see someone go underneath me and I get hit. In the back by a canopy. Okay. <laughs> so, in terms of what what led to it, I don't know, DJ. Maybe so yeah, from my point of view, I'm looking at it from a video, uh, almost face on. Like I'm a 45 degrees off from Henry's face to our left, his right. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's coming in. Were you going directly with the arrow? I think so. I like to think so. I would like to think so as well, and I could be wrong, but I will say you're going with everybody else. Like three or four canopies land, all going the same direction, due eastish. Mm -hmm. I say due east, it's almost due east. Um, and another canopy comes in. You're just starting your flare uh, as the collision happens. This other canopy comes in from around the building, headed south, and then does a turn like he was going to do a 90-degree turn. Maybe he didn't get far enough. Maybe he did. Uh, but the turn cuts short just over 45 degrees, so comes in behind Henry at, at not quite a 45-degree angle mm -hmm. uh, from Henry's back left. Uh, planed out with speed, and uh, you were between the person's body and lines. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the person behind him overtook him with speed through a turn. Um, about 45 degrees off from each other. And that's one thing. Uh, the one thing I liked about seeing that video is, is again, I'm not going to give grief teeth. And one of you guys, uh, both both parties, um, I think if I told you who the other guy was, I think you might know who it is. I've got, uh, I, I like you, Henry. You're a nice guy. I got a lot more respect for his uh, mind for safety. I, he he just is super conscientious. I, I think you're a good dude. Don't get me wrong. That dude is just that that uh, safety conscientious that yeah. that he is super super high tight on it. Um, um, one of the things we talk about in the landing area is man, land the same direction, all land the same direction, and people are going like, oh, I'm 45 off. It's not a big deal. You never know when somebody else needs the airspace. 
you know, Henry, and we're going to pretend you were 45 degrees off the wind line in the wrong. And that other guy needed the space. And because you were on the wrong direction, you cut him off said and done. Or conversely, you were the right direction and he was 45 off. Because he was 45 off, he was a collision course with you. Yeah, 45 off in opposite directions is 90 degrees, right? Yeah. That's a really... Not same direction if you're if you're both traveling at you know thirty miles an hour or whatever. And back to it, had this happened a little bit higher, a I don't think you would have been able to fly out of it as well. You would have still flown yeah. it out. B I don't know how this dude would have worked out because you were in his lines and his canopy was in the back of Henry's lines, and he crashed in. I, he he might have been able to fly it out, but a good chance he would have crapped in had it been fifteen feet above the ground instead of, of across the ground. So I'm glad. Man, I hate to say it. I'm glad it happened to you guys because you both did so well with it. I'm glad it happened to you guys because I'm not this. Is, I, I never anticipated or, or thought I'd speak to you guys about it because mm-hmm. I just, you guys are gonna take care of business, right? Um, I, we're just speaking about it because it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also glad it happened because I can cite case studies. It's the best way. Hey, this could happen. Does it happen? Yeah, it just <laughs> happened to real good <laughs> homies of mine. I just watched this video. Two of my friends almost fucking hurt themselves, man. Uh, yes, it does happen. So I, I'm glad we have that. At some point, I'm going to ask you and the other party if I can use that video for presentations. Can I use that video for presentations? You have my permission. And I, I think will ask him individually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I will ask the, the lover of dogs. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Sorry, man. I forget where that got sidetracked from. Well, let's go back to what was your favorite moment from the year. Do you have a yes. highlight? Um. I mean, a bunch of highlights. From, cause well, I said one, so pick one. A highlight. <laughs> no, I'm just fucking <laughs> with you. See what the, any, anything that was great about the year, anything that you, uh, you know, maybe you surprised yourself about something that you did well, or, you know, maybe there was a, a big goal that you had you got to check on. Your wife didn't divorce you. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Um, I think, I don't know, it's hard to say because there are so many firsts. So I can remember the first time, like, holding a sit fly. Um, first wingsuit jump, that, that was maybe one of the highlights was the first wingsuit jump. But then once I gained some skill doing cloud lines in August in the, in the wingsuit. So t- tell me about your first wingsuit jump. I want to know what it's like because I've never done one. <laughs> I did it with, I did my ground school with Kyle Whitkoff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is the, the goat. The goat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he led me through it all. And uh, I was in uh, Phantom 3. So how many jumps did you have at this point? 280, I think. How many tracking jumps had you done? Three. (laughs) I said I was going to do 50, I think. And I did three. Um, Oh, you did three tracking jumps. Okay, so we're well prepared. (laughs) 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 And uh, the first jump is pretty simple. You basically just get out, you know, open your wings slowly so you don't hit the tail. But I don't. Anyways, so you, and then it's just a matter of navigating. And uh, Kyle, I remember him saying, navigation is the number one thing on this jump. You know, they talk about, they prepare you for instability recovery and all of that. Mm-hmm. But navigation being the most important thing. Right, because you can cover a lot of distance and get into... Yeah, where yeah. way different airspace than where you started from. Exactly. Okay. And he says, if you go the wrong way, I'm gonna pull up next to you and I'm gonna, you know, try to redirect you. If you don't listen to me, I'm going to buzz you right in front of your face and I'm gonna go home. 
And I thought, oh, no problem. I'll be navigating fine. <laughs> and I'm having an awesome time. I'm flying around. He goes right past my face. I head back to the drop center. I'm like, oh, man, I got to go. And uh, But also because I'm pulling pretty high, like five grand for the first, you know, however many wingsuit jumps. And uh, it's pretty simple. It's just a little nerve-wracking because you're not used to being a little tied up like that. And also the deployment is different different in what way um you need to be symmetrical so rather than putting one arm out and and checking your pilot shoot you're collapsing your wings um symmetrically so that you don't you know spin and uh you have that forward speed so it's a different sensation than just the bag coming off your back um you feel you know that your forward mo- momentum is being arrested you you collapse the leg wing or just the just the arm wings? So I mean, it it depends, the, and it's kind of changing. It also depend like for depends what on what the coolest guy is doing. Exactly. <laughs> 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 well, for for this for the first jump course, I mean, they'll tell you to uh, collapse it all, and the the kind of older school of thought is that you want to go back into free fall. Um, but now, like flying my freak, I will just collapse my uh, arm wings and then I'll fly through the deployment with my tail so that I can keep my risers level as my uh, parachute comes off my back so I don't get line twists. So I think a, a big part of it, I, I learned to wingsuit more than once. I, I did a, I did a informal first flight course. Hey, bro, put this on. Let's go fly. Um, they taught me some good stuff in that, and then uh, since then, real good first flight courses have been developed, and took one of those. And part of it is is a different day and age, but part of it is is wing size, um, and then um, part of it is is the way you you pitch because uh, at first you're just learning to slow down and pitch. Eventually, you're learning to flare and p- and flare and pitch your body up and pitch, so you're almost in a stand when you pitch. So to get there, you have to have your wings open, your leg wing, right? So with the flare... I, I'm asking, really, I don't know. There's a, there's a bit of a trick to it because... So yeah, like the Freak 2, the bigger suits we're <coughs> flaring, we're actually gaining altitude. And so now my your openings are subterminal. Um, but I've learned through trial and error <laughs> 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 that if you do it, when because we're you know we're actually having like negative vertical speed because you're going up um if you pitch at zero g the parachute is gonna fall <laughs> fall out it's not going up <laughs> i've had <laughs> it fall out onto my tail wing and then which is a very unpleasant sensation and then had to you know get air over my back so that it would go out and it was a very terrible opening i've also had it um how high did you pitch on that skydive how high did you deploy um, <laughs> like three grand yeah you think that's a bad, good idea <laughs> yeah, i learned it wasn't um what do you mean you learned it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> by, by doing it more than once <laughs> got in trouble at one point well, I'll come back to that question. Sorry. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> you learned that you can zero G and dump a canopy onto your tail. Yeah. You can plead the fifth at any moment. I might. One, yeah. two, three, four, fifth. 
Uh, yeah, and also it'll it can come out and then start opening and then slam you because it quickly opens. So that instead of a smooth like you know blossom of the canopy, you can get slammed. So it's a a lot of with practice you can feel the perfect speed for it to open really nicely. So that's a the technique that you develop with experience. So w- what would you tell someone who uh, is real new about the b- the best way to figure that out? Are they flying a big suit? They're f- brand, new new to w- brand new, brand new, brand new to wingsuiting. What oh, what are I you gonna tell you on that two hundred and eightieth jump of like, hey man, do this to get a good opening, and don't do this. I I mean, for a small suit like that, I would just collapse and pitch. But if in the freak two, if you're so the the size of the suit is what's made the the big difference. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean. Like, if you look at the fly sight data, the it's barely better than a flat track, you know, with these small suits. Whereas if you, I've also pitched going too fast horizontally in the freak, and that sucks because you're pitching at like at least 130 miles an hour horizontal. So hold on, let's we gotta go backwards to this. Uh, you say it's barely different than pitching from a flat track. You mean horizontal speed, not vertical speed with a small suit? Yeah, even the vertical speed is comparable. It can be. Define a small suit. Name some small suits for me. Phantom 2. Phantom 2. Okay, uh, that's a small suit. Like a Swift. Um, okay. Anything smaller than the Funk, basically. Okay. Because I'm positive the Phantom 2 with the right flyer can get a lot slower than a flat track. Oh, for sure. I'm talking first jump course, though. Like, when you're... You're probably arched, and your arms are probably super dihedral. You're spilling air. You know, it's not very Where'd you learn the word dihedral? That was a pretty smart word for you. I went to uh, a <laughs> next-level wingsuit flight camp. Do they use dihedral and anhedral in there? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. They're thinking very smart about it. Do you know what anhedral and dihedral yeah, those are? Th- those words are too big for me. Anhedral, think about the apex or the center being higher and the wingtips uh, being lower, root high uh, tips low. Okay. Uh, dihedral tips high root low. Okay, spelling. Okay, so we we, we draw like bird tips uh, high root low. We draw a bird with root low tips high. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a dihedral arc. Uh, one of the reasons we spread our canopy out is to create more of that dihedral arc. Creates better adverse lift. So in a bank, you're still getting more positive lift than anything else. So, um, anyway, sorry, <laughs> nerd nerd. <laughs> um, What's the technical term for face down ass up? <laughs> that's the way we like to. <laughs> Henry, how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> Um. Uh, uh. So, but forward speed. What's the forward speed of some of those? So let let's say I'm averaging like a sixty mile an hour vertical speed on a Phantom Two. Mm-hmm. What kind of forward speed am I doing? Probably, and this is a bit of a guess because I did three jumps on a on a Phantom. But you educated guess probably. Educated guess probably like a hundred. Okay. Hundred, yeah. Okay. I I flew a Phantom two. I have a good handful of jumps on a Phantom two, and I I know for sure flying over two eighty eight. I'm smoking cars, not smoking, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely not losing too many cars on two eighty eight. Yeah. So uh, unless I'm driving down it, unless you're driving down it like a boss, I drive like a grandpa, man. And then you said now you're flying a Freak two, and you're getting like one thirty plus horizontal speed, forward speed. I mean the with a tailwind, I've gone. 190. Jesus Christ. And <laughs> <laughs> but no wind a cruising speed of like 140. 
I'm afraid to drive that fast. Nick, what would happen to your van if you did that? I don't think the van would ever do that <laughs> unless uh, I had a very, very, very serious tailwind. Uh, out of the back of a sky van, your van might do that. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might reach 140. It I don't know. Not. dude. I think it would just find sideways oh, yeah. and really slow yeah. down. <laughs> it doesn't have enough surface area to slow down. <laughs> Drive that thing in a, in a, on a windy day. I, mean, I bet. I bet it does, man. Sorry, I, I so I've asked a lot of these questions about forward speed, vertical speed, et cetera, mm-hmm. to other wingsuit buddies, and none of them have had the information. Uh, Luke Luke Rogers would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is fly site data that you're getting these numbers, yeah, yeah? Mm-hmm. That, that you have. Um, and, and wingsuiting. Sorry, go back to your wingsuiting questions. I hijacked it for a minute. Um, I think you were answering them. I don't remember what the last thing I asked you. Well, maybe I asked you deploying what? is what we were talking Deployment. about. Deployment. The difference of deployment styles uh, partially vary because of horizontal speed due to wing size. Well, h- how has your perspective changed on flying a wingsuit since you have ha- how many wingsuit jumps this year? 544. Okay. So uh, tell me about the evolution of your knowledge in, in wingsuiting in those 540-some-odd jumps. Well, um, it's come a long way. I've had a lot of help from Jeremy. Um, he mentored me. Because Kyle did my my first jump course, but he he left the next day. So basically, growing all the way through, uh, it's been Jeremy helping me out, and then uh, Luke was here in August, I think, and he he gave me some pointers, and then it was the the uh, camp. But um, I was the only wingsuiter on the package this year, and so I spent a lot of time with my fly sight. Uh, listening to it in flight, and um, did you customize any of the tones? Oh yeah. What did you put in it? Uh, I had some Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did you use? Uh, I so for a while there, I was trying to figure out how to have the highest vertical speed possible. Um, so I'm getting out, I'm getting off jump run, and then I'm going down, and. I had it so that when I went, I think it was like 200 miles an hour vertical speed, it would say, one of us is in deep trouble. (laughs) 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 And uh, (laughs) I had a couple other ones, but uh, like entering the competition window and uh, Exiting it like you son of a bitch, you know, <laughs> like just random stuff. I would do. I want Samuel L. Jackson in my fly site aud- audio files so you bad. Could do it. Oh, he it's th- there's already people who put Samuel L. Jackson files out there for fly sites. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So you know you can do all these things, right? <laughs> I've heard it talked about, but I, I've never used fly site personally, so it's hard to put all of these into into context. But I can imagine. I don't ever use it to record or to, or to play audio, so I never will really have a need for that. But I do use it to record. Uh, uh, flight paths, altitude, etc. Um, so yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> I got sidetracked. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, wing wingsuiting. You started the year. You need at least two hundred jumps mm-hmm. in eighteen months to fly a wingsuit, according to USPA. And that's actually I don't even think a require. I don't know if it's a requirement or recommendation. I don't remember which. And at least f- or five hundred jumps total. Mm-hmm. Either or. So when you showed up here, your first goal was to get as many skydives as you could mm-hmm. and immediately get into a wingsuit as quick as you could. One of the interesting things is Nick actually laid a challenge down to you at the beginning of this mm-hmm. year, which you openly said you were not going to take. Mm-hmm. Do you remember <laughs> what it was? Yeah, belly jumps. 
And what was it? So Nick said, do 500 before you do anything else. And I said, no. <laughs> and and uh, you recommended 200. And I did do 200 belly jumps before I did anything else. Um, I got, if you're listening to the show, uh, I, I want to say it was Mitch Hansen. I can't remember who it was. But there was somebody who came up to me like a month later and said, I'm taking the challenge. I'm going to do 500 belly jumps. I really want to learn to free fly one day. But I'm actually going to accept Nick's challenge. So if you listen to the show, if you're still listening this this year later, please hit me up, send me a message, let me know on the drop zone. Come tell Nick that you're still following through that challenge because I'm sure Nick would absolutely love you for it. He might give you a mouth hug. Um, <laughs> not an empty threat. He really might kiss you. <laughs> um, kissed a lot of dudes, all right? No, uh, no homo. Uh, the tongue was kind of gay that one time. I was Hey, fine. you told me that you weren't going to tell anyone about that. Uh, you know, um, keep it awkward. Um, so at 200 jumps, you, you, you went through the first 200 jumps only on your belly. Mm-hmm. If you had to do it all over again, would you have done the same thing? For sure, definitely. So many flyers want to get free flying right away. Mm-hmm. You eventually started free flying. Yeah. Now I actually see you free fly somewhat regularly. Kind of scary, kind of trippy. <laughs> what w- would you say there was any benefit? Oh, it was huge. It was a really good idea. Thank you, guys. Why? What What benefit did you see? How did you see it? Well, I mean, it's it's the fundamentals. Um. But I think most importantly, you're building awareness in an environment that's less threatening than, you know, super high speeds, whether you're doing movement jumps or um, just, you know, free fall speeds. You're going an extra 40 miles an hour vertical at least. And uh, I think that, yeah, one of the one of the main things being uh, building awareness. getting the tunnel vision to open up a little bit and then also the belly skills translate to everything whether it's wingsuit or free fly or angles in what way um and just understanding uh you know what what inputs do what and in in what order of importance like big to small so like your main flight surface being your torso, right? Mm-hmm. And then that would be the most important element of your body position and basically anything is what your torso is doing. Um, and uh, then working down to smaller, you know, body parts. And down the legs, up the arms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so... Hashtag woke. I mean, really, y- you've got to be woke. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say it, man. Totes so sh- this totes will be my last episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> Hashtag triggered. Oh, and Nick so is going to go post on here a little bit. So FYI, BSR 2-1 uh, jumper is required to have a minimum of 200 jumps before wingsuiting. So it is a... Uh, and then it is recommended that it, they have been completed within the past 18 months. Is that page 6 or 7 of the sim? I'm I'm looking at the wingsuit recommendation section six point nine. Okay, so that's recommendations. That's not a requirement. Well, they they have a note there that says the BSR two okay. two one is is the record two dash one what requirement. I'm sorry, it's I I know that's I have to note. scroll up to look. Yeah, these are word nerd words that I I need to. I just know. <coughs> um, so it used to be just a recommendation. I I remember at some point the board talked about making it a BSR, but I just don't ever remember these things anymore. I used to have a good memory. 
Um, but so you're saying that the 200 jumps is a BSR, yes. and that 1800 months is the recommend- recommend- or 1800 months, 18 months, months yeah. it's the recommendation. <laughs> yeah, 1800 months, 200 jumps <laughs> in 18 months uh, is the recommend. 18 months is the recommendation. So yeah, the the, the woke part. Sorry, Nick. It's that awareness, and I know we've beat on this so many times on the show. And if you're listening, you've heard this before. You're gonna hear it again. Um, you you said it. You get to understand what the surfaces do because at 120 miles an hour, sticking my leg out so far will give me such an input. At 150, 180 miles an hour, that same input is amplified exponentially. It's not a little bit faster. It's a crap load faster. So getting the understanding of what your body parts do, getting an understanding of how they work. So it's 2-1 L6. Any person performing a wingsuit jump must have at least 200 skydives and hold a current skydiving license. And the U.S. also doesn't allow any wingsuit tandems. So we could both be wingsuiters, and we can't do a tandem in the U.S. Hmm. Or on any U.S. gear. So any of the wingsuit tandems you see are in Europe. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever see those videos or pictures. Uh, I avoid douchebaggery. Oh, I saw one recently that was like base wingsuit tandem... Paragliding, <laughs> paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> How can we kill ourselves today? That was insane. <laughs> um, so, so making sure you understand those flight surfaces, those those control areas, and what input they can do. And, and like my ex girlfriend, she saw her legs above her head the whole time. That's why she's my ex girlfriend. But most of us don't have a, a good leg awareness. How often do you see your legs? Almost never. So learning what they do. How important are legs in sit flying for you? Very important. On your head. <coughs> Very important. In a wingsuit. Super important. And, and yet we have zero leg awareness as most skydivers go. Like Tex came into the sport being a soccer slash rugby guy who kicks things a lot. So he had leg awareness. He, he had that, that toll, toll by awareness. But most people have no clue. So those belly jumps, would you recommend? You did 200. Would mm-hmm. you recommend going for the 500? I think if you have the patience, you should go for it. I think... Uh, for me, you know, I just got a little antsy, but uh, I think everybody should do at least 200. And I think that if you jump infrequently, you should do more because currency, of course, is going to play into this as well. So this kind of segues into some of some of uh, uh, other conversations I want to have. What you've done this year, and one of the things you've done this year is got your coach rating. Mm-hmm. USPA for their coach rating requires 100 jumps. I actually recommend a different number. I do think it's okay to attend with that minimum number. How many jumps did you have when you took the coach course? I think 300. 300? 350 maybe. And walking out of it with 300, 350 jumps. Do you think you took it at the right time? Do you think sooner would have been better? Do you think later would have been better? I think it was a perfect timing. You know, I had, you know, I'm super current and, uh, had built enough skill that I could impart some basics on others, and I felt comfortable doing, you know, what was requested of me in the course. And you're recently a hundred jump wonder. I mean, I'd recently, t- eleven months ago, you had hundred skydives. Yeah. Even less than that, probably. Mm-hmm. So less than eleven months ago, you had hundred skydives. Think about that. At hundred skydives, you could have t- attended the coach course. How do you think that would have went? Oh, a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? He just, you just don't have the awareness at that point. Just, it's not, it's not there. Even if you have a lot of tunnel time, it's not, you know, being able to maneuver around in the sky is not the same thing as uh, being able to understand 
what all is going ar- around you, you know, what's happening. Do you think 100 jumps is the right number to be a coach? I, I mean... The right minimum number? Right minimum? I mean, 200, 200 sounds a little more reasonable. Um, I think, at, yeah, probably at least 200. What did the standard for a D license used to be? 200. So, <laughs> is, uh, I guess my, my leading question to th- that brought me to that thought was when did the 100 uh, jump minimum for a coach, uh, a coach rating be put in place? At the inception of a coach rating. Wh- which was what year? 01, before the jump numbers for D license changed. So a coach was still uh, rec- rec- required to have 100 jumps when D license was still 200 jumps. Roger. Okay. Um, the change happened almost at the same time. It was one after the other. Mm-hmm. So they were very close. Um, so that's one of the arguments is is, this is the, the number to get licenses is raised because we get numbers quicker. It used to be somebody to get 1,000 jumps in their lifetime was next to impossible. It was so hard with lift capacity, with, with load availability, with everything going on. It was just hard to do, man. Take 1,000 landings on those round mains, man. It hurt. You did 1,000, 1,300 jumps this year. So it's much easier to grab those skill sets. I, I personally like, I'm with you, 200 is the number I recommend. Um, number one, you can't or you shouldn't wear a camera. USPA recommends you don't wear a camera, and I highly recommend you don't wear a camera till at least 200 jumps. I don't think 200 is a magic number. Some people should never wear a camera. Some people <laughs> are probably capable at 150 jumps. Um, if you think you're that person, you're probably wrong. Um, most people who are capable at 150 jumps aren't aware of it till they have 300 jumps. Um, an example, my wife is a badass, but she has no clue. She's so naive. If you're really a badass, you're probably naive of the fact. <coughs> I, like me, I think I'm super awesome at skydiving. I, I suck at it, man. You, you've seen me. I flail and free fall every time. <laughs> um, so you're really good at it. Oh, dude, I'm, I'm fucking asshole. I'm awesome at sucking. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been picturing new ways to screw with people on tumbling and free fall. Uh, is, uh, I thought of some new real cool tricks to try. Um, <laughs> transitions into into tumbling. You've chased some of this shit. It's mm-hmm. a good time. Um, but a hundred makes sense to me for the for an unfortunate reason, and and the unfortunate reason, or it's a, it's it's unfortunate for them. Is small drop zones. It's really hard for jumpers. They still exist. Small 182 joints to get jump numbers up. You're going to see guys who can't get tons of jumps over the year because the the, the plane just doesn't have that many slots. Mm-hmm. So th- it does make sense in the small Cessna operation and the small model business model, which is still a very large portion of our sport, to have that lower availability. Um, most people who go into it with 100 jumps, do you think they would pass the course? Most people with 100 jumps in the um, You've jumped with a lot of people with 100 jumps this year. I mean... How well did they dock on you right away? It's usually violent. <laughs> <laughs> so almost every coach jump, your first job is to softly and gently dock on the other jumper as soon as possible. Yeah. And they couldn't do that? No. Okay. But So the average person wouldn't pass, um, uh, although I do think there are plenty of people out there who are <laughs> capable. I've taught guys with 110 jumps in a coach course where I'm like, dude, you're a stud. You're absolutely great. Um, I might not say it to them that way, but they're, they're very capable. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, the 200 jump. Man, you had 350 jumps. When you went on and started coaching and, and working with people after that, how much would you land and remember the skydive? Uh, I mean, still uh, even then, relying on my video. Without the video, how much would you remember it? 
well, better at 350 than before, but I mean, still, you know, spots, spotty memory for some of it. Justin, how many jumps did you have when you got your AFF rating? <coughs> oh, uh, now I'm trying to remember. 500. And how well did you land and remember every skydive? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I learned I learned the stupid cheat tricks that you taught me and asked them the questions <laughs> so <laughs> that you remember what the fuck happened. So what do you think happened here? <laughs> no, that so doesn't sound accurate. Show me what you did. Oh, that's what you fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> show me what you did. That doesn't look right. That isn't what I remember. Nick, now you have 8,000 jumps? I still don't remember most most skydives. And <laughs> until, until I get down and start talking with the person that I was on the jump with, and it's like, oh, yeah, that part. Oh, yeah, that thing oh yeah that moment oh yeah that that was the plan oh yeah that's where it go, went off the tracks and you so but but i've jumped with a camera since before 200 jumps i've, I've, I've almost always had and not that i'm recommending that i was an idiot at a place that wasn't good at enforcing the the rules and i was a terrible skydiver but uh, i've been all too reliant on always having video to to debrief i think i had right around 200 jumps when i jumped my first camera uh, mainly because that was the first time I had access to it, and cameras were much larger and harder to access. Uh, look behind you on that fridge. The camera yeah, to the left, awesome. the, the helmet to the left, mm -hmm. that's my very first camera helmet. That's beautiful. And that is a smaller box than the original. The camera that was in there originally was larger than what, that. What was your first video camera? Do you remember? Jesus, I don't remember. My, my first was a <laughs> Sony HC40. Um, that is an HC. That's the first HC, which is a which is a larger format. The TRV is the predecessor to that. Okay, yeah, uh, the TRV was a little longer too, right? Yep, and that's yeah. that's that same shape. And the TRV was a little bit larger, uh, same length as that camera, but bulkiness, the girth. It was like a tuna can, but long. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds real nice. <laughs> um. Ooh, that's how she likes it. Um, so yeah, uh, we, you, you hit on it right away, man. Video cameras. How how much have you relied on cameras in coaching? A lot. And that's as the coach, as as a participant. You and I did canopy coursework together. Mm -hmm. When we landed, when you landed, I actually had down. I could tell you exactly what happened and how it happened. Mm -hmm. It's my job. I watch crap loads of landings a day. Um, I don't usually watch the video till you do, um, but sometimes I, I, I will, just if I needed to see something. Mm -hmm. When I explained to you what happened versus when I showed you what happened, what was the difference? Which one did you believe? How, how much, how did it work? I mean, I believed you, but it, it's translated to my muscle memory better when I could see it. So as a coach, man, you really need a camera, not for your own memory only. It, it's super important, man. It, it's trained your memory and. And Justin, now that you've done STP jumps and you've worn video, how much better is your memory watching video after you debrief them? Oh, much better. And and I mean, I've done uh, before I did the AFF course, I'd done oh, I don't yeah. know three hundred something mentor jumps. I forgot about that uh, <laughs> with video and not having the video as a crutch uh, really dawned on me how much I didn't actually remember at all. And I was used to just pulling up the video and seeing it before I even talked to the the mentee. Uh, so yeah, the the whole uh, the trick for looking for <laughs> what should be happening versus what is happening means a lot. Y you want to look for what they should be doing, how they should be making the movement, and and what happens uh, contrary to what you think they should be doing. Uh, the things that really mess me up a lot are like what you talked about, Henry, with the uh, the torso. Uh, the spine alignments a lot are, are the ones I still struggle with catching in free fall. 
uh, I think like maybe their legs are uneven, maybe their arms are uneven, or something else is going spine on. Spine alignment meaning like bending, si- yes, like yeah, sideways, spinal, the like their um, their hips are cattywampus. Okay, compared to the so rest y- of them, you mean mainly. twisting of the spine no. or bending? Mainly uh, like uh, like forceful side sliding, orbiting around. Bending. Okay, with your hips yeah. stuck out one one side or the other. Boomerang. And it, it happens a lot more with people, uh, you know, smaller people who have to wear the big student canopies. It doesn't fit quite well on their back. There's a big gap. It's lopsided in free fall, and it's kind of forcing that hip movement, and you have to try to reinforce that hip movement on the creepers. Uh, that it's, it's pretty hard to do until you see it with video. And I, I, I struggle seeing it in free fall still. So, man, it, it, you bring up a good point for me. Something I don't give advice to for somebody going into an AFF course, Henry, before you take an AFF course, do a good handful of mentor and coach jumps and make sure you play back or you tell them what your version of the skydive was before you watch a video. Mm-hmm. Drill your memory, practice your memory, because in an AFF course, you cannot look at the video until you've told me your version, mm-hmm. and your version has to be within 75% of accuracy or you're not going to pass. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Are you dying? I think he's dying. <laughs> so, <laughs> shut up. Get away from that microphone for a second. I have questions. So, did you get to teach anyone anything this year? Uh, a bit. I did some uh, wingsuit mentoring. Okay. Kind of informal, but, you know, Sylvain, when he came back, uh, I did his first jump course and then uh, gave him some coaching through his progression. And how much wingsuit experience did he have before that point? None. Oh, none. I, or, okay. I thought he had some before I, he left. Yeah, I thought I remembered him being a wingsuit. I believe you. I, no, I, I think I he just landed off a lot. So I think <laughs> that's what. <laughs> oh, he had a <laughs> tracking seat. Okay. He had a a one piece and a two piece tracking seat. And so, did you get to have that light bulb moment with him, w- with any of of seeing someone get something that you were trying to teach them? Yeah, and he he actually was a very fast learner. Um, the nice thing about Savan was that he actually listened to what I told him and then translated it directly in the next jump, made the change. So listened to the advice and then applied it and he got better. And, uh, it was, it was really cool to see him go from doing, you know, jumping a small suit. He had, oh man, I remember what suit he had. It's a little thing. It was like a camera suit, like an inconvenient camera suit basically. Mm. And, uh, he progressed uh, all the way up to an ATC within a couple months. I don't know what that means. That means not as big as the Freak 2, but a s- one step below. Is there, is there a way to measure these suits? Like when you say a big suit or a small suit, what? like? So I would just use a model. I would say Funk is kind of in the middle. So in terms of squirrel, I'm talking squirrel suits because that's what I know, but it would be like a small one would be a Swift uh, and then a Funk and then an ATC, and then a Freak. And then you have other suits, big suits like Auras and Kalugas and uh, Sea Races and stuff like that. But those are just with different purposes. Part of it is not just the size of the suit, but also the size of the flyer. <coughs> because wing loading is just as pertinent on wingsuits as it is, is under canopy, right? Yep. For example, my wife under a Freak 2 compared to Hank under a, what's the largest wingsuit they have? Or a three is. I'm kidding. I'm I'm being (laughs) right now. But the idea is is there is the wing loading is 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 also there. Mm -hmm. So Savon went to the 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 equivalent of flying 
it's the opposite. Lighter wing loader loadings under wingsuit are m- more advanced. Mm-hmm. Heavier wing loadings under wingsuits are less advanced. Right. Uh, he went to the equivalent of flying a uh, cross brace canopy. Would you say that's an yeah, easy way to say sounds it? Sounds about right. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. That all that all makes sense. Yeah. Um, do you have any real humbling moments from from this year? I mean, I scared myself a couple times. Uh, well, tell, tell me about that. Um, I. It had a lot to do with getting overly comfortable. So this was, so when you're doing unlimited jumping, you know, there's the 100 jump wonder. I was like the 500 jump wonder. So <laughs> oh, that's the uh, 500 jump chump. 500 jump chump. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I had two instances that kind of stuck out. One of which was uh, doing a cloud run. And then seeing a hole that was like a vertical column through the, the cloud. So I decided to do a corkscrew through it uh, down the hole, which is west of the drop zone, like over the trees uh, <coughs> near the swamp. And I'm going really fast down. And I hear my first alarm for my audible, and then my second, and then my low alarm immediately afterwards, which was set at 2.5. And I'm still pointed straight down and arcing at that point. So I bailed out, tried to flare, but, uh, and then pitched, basically like an emergency pitch because I'm going down really fast. And I, the problem was that I didn't have the reference point of the ground because the hole was so small. You're still in a cloud at this point. I can see ground, but it's not enough to give me a sense of distance. You know what I mean? Okay. And so I come out. And I pitch, and I, f- I feel the parachute come out, but it doesn't come over my head. And I'm still falling, and I'm, I'm low. Do I plead the fifth, or do I say how low I was? Go for it. I was probably at, like, 1,800 feet. Okay. And so I, I, like, bucked, put my head low as hard as I could to try to get air because the parachute's out, it's just not doing anything. And I managed to get it over my head, but then I had the line twists. And so hold on, the parachute's out, it's not inflated, it's in line slack in your burble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just kind of trailing, because I went from straight down to up, and all it did was create a massive burble behind okay. me. And uh, then I had a lot of line twists, and I was getting low, and I chose to fight them rather than chop, which, whether it was a good idea or not, I knew that I needed to stick with my decision, and I got out of the line twists at, like, 900 feet, and then pop toggles at, like, 750, and limped back and still, and, and landed on the drop zone. Any landing you walk away from isn't a bad decision, but it's not always the best decision. Yeah, it was not the best. Would you have changed your decision? With my experience now? Yeah. Well, I'd know better than to to get there, but I think now, yeah, I'd probably just chop it. What's your decision altitude? 1,500. Why so low? Mm. I got way more experience than you, and yours is way lower than mine. What's your decision altitude, Nick? Uh, I know for sure, God... By by 2,500 feet, I know pretty surely that, well, maybe that's not always true. I'm going to say 2,000 feet is a, is a pretty fair and honest uh, assessment. Okay, Ginger. 
My alarm is set at 2100. 2000's my decision altitude, 21 set at mine. I'm going to encourage you, dude, lift it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean this rudely. How many years of skydiving, Nick? 13, I think. 24 years, of, 34 years of skydiving sitting right here between the two of us. Both of us, uh, 16,000 jumps combined, dude. Race to two grand. Why yeah. so low? Um, for for the reserve to o- the reserve's gonna open in, in in 300 feet. At 1500 feet, you make a decision. You make a decision. You act. You pull that handle within 200 feet. That cutaway handle within 200 feet. That means you're at uh, 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 1300 feet. Your reserve's open by a grand. Now you need to find a pattern and land. Chances are during that process, your cypress is gonna fire. The cypress is designed to fire lower than that. But as you get stood up, the transition of pressure on your back from horizontal to vertical changes. It will trick the cypress into firing. So, best case scenario, you have to pay for a new cutter. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, you kill yourself. Mm -hmm. You got a wife. Mm -hmm. A lovely wife. (laughs) I I, I, I joke and I tease about your wife and how wonderful she is. I don't think you need to hear that. She she really is such a nice lady, man. It's... She's so unique. She's so nice. She she is. I think you know one of a million, mm-hmm. one one of a kind for sure. Dude, raise your decision altitude. And in this conversation, uh, Henry, I think agrees with it. I'm not preaching at you right now. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this, I'm preaching to you right now. If you have ten thousand jumps, your decision altitude's fifteen hundred. Good, you're a stud. Raise your decision altitude, you stud. If you've got five hundred jumps, you're an idiot. Raise your decision altitude. Whatever it is, man. Those are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Based off that argument alone, what do you think? I mean, yeah, it's it it. There's really no reason not to raise it. I mean, I I think it's just a <laughs> if you've pulled on time, then, man, I, I, th- my last couple traps have been considerably higher than my decision altitude. Small, you know, highly loaded cross brace canopy. You know, pretty quick that it's not working. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, gosh, how 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 long do I really want to fight with this thing? And man, I would rather spend a couple hours looking for my canopy in the swamp than, you know, to spend however however much time I'm gonna get fighting that thing to realize I've made the wrong choice and right. end up cutting away low and what whatever happens after that. How many cutaways do you have? Seven or eight. I'd have Seven to look. Three ish, and then and, and those numbers stand out to me because Katrina Autry Cat was on the show not too long ago. Has tons more. Why does she have tons more? She's probably more conservative, I would say. No, she pulls lower than us. We're more conservative. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, oh, well, maybe this isn't good. I'm going to chop it. So she pulls lower. She doesn't have time. She pitches. If it's not good, she cuts away. She doesn't have time to decide. How many times have you gotten out of line twist versus how many times could she have gotten out of line twist, but she couldn't? So the other reason, uh, uh, um, or excuse me, raising your pull altitude also smarter because you have time to deal with it. You said pull on time was one of your points. I, I uh, yeah, I, man, it's it's real hard for me to sacrifice that pull altitude for for much. Your minimum deployment altitude for everybody in this room is twenty five hundred feet, according to our governing body, Law Schmaz. What is your personal minimum deployment altitude preference? I, dude, if I'm on a big way and I got to pull at twenty five hundred feet, god damn it, I guess I'm <laughs> gonna do it. <laughs> but what is your preferred minimum deployment mm-hmm. altitude? Henry, I'm gonna start. Well, actually, Nick, I'm gonna start with you. What if I can pull wherever I want? Yep. Fuck five grand. Yeah. <laughs> no, not not really. <laughs> I, I love. I do love to pull at four grand. I mean, uh, with I a with a small group, five thousand foot break off. If I can really track, and the I know that the other people that I'm with have have gotten after it. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll pitch at 4,000 feet, and I love it. Justin? Uh, I would say 35, just because of four-way. Typically, we break off at 4-5. And also, I wanted to mention the reason why I lowered my decision altitude was mainly because <coughs> of uh, AFF course. I, I would never have load it, lowered it uh, <laughs> below 2,500 unless I constantly heard that fucking buzzer going off because I had to save somebody's life and track away from it. So the the main mm. reason I went to 2100 is because I knew I was going to that advanced level type of jumps, and I knew I could handle it, and I knew I could deal with it. It took many, many jumps for that thing wailing in my ear before <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I can lower my decision altitude and be okay. <laughs> for a little clarity for, for people listening and un- uninformed, an <laughs> AFF course is an instructor rating course where you can teach people how to skydive solo. Uh, Justin went through this course, holding on to me as a student, chasing me down and tumbling. And during those courses, you are almost always pitching around 2,500 feet, the legal minimum deployment altitude. Henry, what is your personal preferred minimum deployment altitude? Um, minimum 2,500. That's your personal, like, you, you, you prefer to open there. Oh, min- oh, I no. Like, I, if you could pick the deployment altitude on this four-way we're about to do, how high will we all pull? Up pull? I'll probably pull around three. Three? The thing is, it's it's a little bit different with the wing seat. Um, from from my experience, because of time. So the difference between, you know, when you're when you're doing belly or free fly or something, you're 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 burning altitude really quickly. Sure. In the in the wingsuit, I'm losing altitude really slowly, and I can go up 100 feet. So I think your answer is backwards. I, I could be wrong, but here's what I'm thinking. It doesn't matter how fast you're getting to the deployment altitude. It matters how complex what happens below the deployment altitude. I open up on an average jump with my specter. I pitch... I open, I collapse my slider, I unstow my brakes, I release my chest strap, I fly my canopy. It really is that simple. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong? I could have any number of basic malfunctions that are taught in a first jump course. Mm-hmm. So beginner things can go wrong. I just have a higher understanding of them. Mm-hmm. A wingsuit. If a malfunction occurs, you have a lot more to deal with. Mm-hmm. What could go wrong could be a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. For example, a canopy in your verbal. And you're not the only one we've seen do that. It's happened time and time again. So I don't think how fast we get to deployment altitude is nearly as important as how complex is what happens below deployment altitude. Feel free to pour more of that scotch, man. You're holding an empty glass. I'm good myself, but um, in any of the above. Um, So I would would, uh, challenge anybody, and I would challenge you at three grand, dude. I would raise that deployment altitude. I would 3,500 feet. Why not? 500 feet above you or above you is something you're going to miss. 500 feet below you is not something <laughs> you're going to necessarily miss. I I hear almost exactly these words every time I open my parachute. Every time I throw that handle, I always think, you know, al- altitude below me is not my friend right now. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> it's more time to set up. Or excuse me, altitude above me. I want I want that I want the space below me. Yeah. But I, I think of that almost every time I throw that pilot chute. It's man man the higher the better. Something that you've gotten into more and more is, is and e- even with your light wing loading and a, a docile canopy, is canopy f- piloting. The more time under canopy, the more you can fly it, the more you can learn it, the better you can get. So I really, man, I would encourage you to consider raising that. Uh, I accept 3.5 as my uh, normal deployment altitude. I'm with Nick. If I can set the deployment altitude on the jump, I'm going to put four grand out as that number. 
And it seems like the more experience, I, I don't think it's an age thing. I, I, I like to say the older we get, the more we raise that number. But what I'm noticing is it's irrelevant to age and it's more relevant to experience. Uh, yeah, I think it's the more times you've seen that altitude come in handy for you or one of your friends, the more it's like, yeah, that's, wh- that's, that's where I feel comfortable. That's where I've got enough time to avoid somebody or deal with a malfunction or come back from a long longer spot than I thought we were going to have or whatever. There, there there haven't been a lot of jumps where I've been bummed out to have <laughs> oh god no I'm going to have a longer canopy or flight. Or get away oh. from that uh, solo free flyer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um previously did you pull lower with intent? Like you say 3 grand now. Were you pulling at 25 with intent previously? I mean that's a yes. You can just say yeah. yes. And that, and that's okay. <laughs> so if it's a yes, and, and here's what I really want to know, if it's a yes, why did you raise it? Um, just why not? Just for just for safety, you know. Because There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> if it's it's true, you know, with with wingsuiting, like when I had my my little one of my mishaps. Um, I'm at 900 feet. I'm out of line twists. I've got four zippers I need to take care of. Uh, I got to free up my arms and my legs. And, you know, there's there are things to, to worry about. So it's more complex after you deploy. Exactly. Okay. I, it's, um, I, I actually thought you were going to say a higher number. So you, you kind of caught me off guard when you said three grand. I'm like, oh, shit, this backfired. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I really do want to make the points I make, but I didn't know I was going to really actually make them to you. So this isn't an Oprah interview. I, I, I kind of giggled to myself just now because I was going to say this is not an Oprah interview. This is Donahue. But do you know who the fuck Donahue is? I know my mom was <laughs> into that shit. <laughs> uh, and I don't even know Donahue was serious or not. But, um, yeah, man, I, I really hope you consider two things and and – if you're listening to this, whoever you are, number one, pull higher. The higher you pull, the more time you have to learn your canopy, to fly your canopy, to get to know the wing better. If you don't like flying a parachute, then you need to be pulling higher to learn to like the parachute. Pull higher. Raise your decision altitudes, man. I get under a canopy for the first time. My decision altitude is 1,500 feet. The first time under the, I'm under that reserve canopy is going to be quite possibly 1,200 feet or much lower. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. How much time is that to find a pattern, fly a pattern, and learn how to flare a parachute that flares differently than what you're used to flying? Not much. Not much at all, man. So, guys, guys, I highly encourage you, man, ra- raise those altitudes. Have them higher. Uh, we lived in a day and age, and Henry, I'm happy to hear some of your answers, uh, d- despite just getting preached to. Um, <laughs> do you, do you want to <laughs> talk at all about decision altitude versus a hard deck? Is that is that a conversation that you yeah, should be explored that for, up, for maybe... Maybe some younger jumpers. Let's de- let's definitely uh, hit those words up and and um, what was I saying though, man? I don't know. I interrupted you. You did. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so decision altitude, hard deck. Do those two words mean different things to you, Henry? Yes. Explain that. Uh, decision altitude. When you uh, decide what you're going to do with what you've got, and hard deck, uh, you've you've got what you've got basically. So <coughs> another way to say a decision altitude, this is when I'm going to decide and act to cut away. Uh, in, in my case, 2,000 feet. Uh, in Henry's case, 2,000 feet. <laughs> um, uh, hard deck, uh, all of our hard decks, I believe, are probably the same in this room. My hard deck is 1,000 feet. Henry, yours is? 1,000 feet. Justin, yours is? 1,000 feet. Justin, your, or <laughs> Nick, 
You don't remember my name, so I'm going to move mine down by 500 feet. <laughs> Mr. P. So when I pound in and line stretch, it's going to be your fault. Dude, do you like that Mr. P jersey coming? Dude, it's fucking Oh, good, yeah. my God. I am so butthurt right now. Uh, we're going to get back to hard deck decision altitude for no, one but second. I, I just wanted to make it clear that, that my I've, I've pulled my cutaway handle, I think it probably 1,100 feet once. I had a parachute that I, it was really questionable of whether or not it was going to land well. The slider was uh, maybe halfway up the lines. It was mostly flying. The canopy was was still very bowed in because the slider was up so high, and I really couldn't tell if I was getting a good flare, but it was flying straight, like it was responsive. So I tried for a really long time to get the, uh, to get the slider down as I was flying to a spot that I thought would be a good spot for a cutaway to happen and for my gear to, to make it back to the to the drop zone. And I was watching my, my altimeter at, I, I'm pretty sure I had my hand out in front of my face at 1,100 feet when I, when I pulled the cutaway handle and reached right for my reserve. And it was a really, really quick, quick transition. I was, I was under my reserve at, oh, 800 feet or maybe a little more. But uh, that's the lowest I've ever actually initiated my, my emergency procedures. But it felt, it felt eh, safe-ish. <laughs> for for what the situation <laughs> was, that it wasn't like I was rapidly losing altitude. I was under a parachute that was mostly open, that wasn't doing anything out of control. It was flying where I told it to go. I just didn't know if it was going to flare. And I decided later, probably than I should have, that ah, I don't want to trust this thing and find out on the ground that it's not flaring all the way. So some important thoughts that come out of that and things that I hear fun jumpers commonly miss is... A, your decision altitude. Uh, again, we're just going to go with 2,000 and 1,000 for the numbers for this conversation. Decision altitude, 2,000. It doesn't mean you have to cut away by. It means you have to decide and act as soon as possible. It also means that if you have a malfunction at 1,500 feet, you're not fucked. You can still go ahead and commit to your emergency procedures. You can commit your emergency procedures all the way down to 1,000. 1,000 feet is your do not cut away below altitude. You are too low. Things are, are happening too slow. Or, excuse me, a uh, uh, too quickly and you need to get as much material overhead as possible and fire your reserve. So no longer cut away. The thing that, that jumpers are missing is that middle statement. If you have a malfunction below your decision altitude, you can still cut away. Nick, you cut away at 1,100 feet and you still were safe-ish. I'd say it felt pretty safe. It, it, was, it was a really fast fast transition from that main to that reserve. I was like I was foghorn leghorn start right there. I say, I say. I say, I say. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend, and I don't think any of us are recommending doing it that way, but what we are saying is you have evidence. You have a, you have a situation where you have been okay cutting away that low. So if you're stuck on your decision altitude, and a lot of new jumpers, decision altitude's 2,500 feet, and I recommend keeping it there, at least for your first uh, uh, license, if not first two licenses, consider it. Um, at the B license, your minimum deployment altitude legally changes to 2.5. So at that point, considering changing your uh, decision altitude might be a good idea. Uh, Justin, I think, did a smart thing just because a organization says he can pull to 2.5. He didn't choose it. So he kept a higher deployment or decision altitude until he changed it. Only personal. if I was in big ways. That's yeah. the only time I would take it lower when I see people not tracking. Man, that, that's scary. Um, so decision altitude, hard deck, they're, they're super important things to separate and make sure you know. Dude, I, I, I was going to bring up I'm a little butthurt because tonight we were supposed to have a super awesome package. Today we are supposed to have a super awesome package, and this weekend I was going to have Gravity Lab radio jerseys for sale finally. 
fucking snow in Albuquerque. And UPS shuts down, man. Albuquerque. Albuquerque. I should have turned left in Albuquerque. Fucking Bugs Bunny. Bugs yeah, Bunny. Adam, Adam <laughs> told me about that earlier. Yeah, dude. Send me a message. So, guys and gals, uh, you will be seeing some jerseys soon. We do have the retail version of Gravity Lab Radio jerseys. We have a white-based version and a gray-based version. <laughs> if you've seen Justin's, Nick's, myself, Ben's, Valerie's, if you've seen the team's jerseys, those are one of colors. Those are snob colors, uh, <laughs> exclusive <laughs> colors. Um, they're to the team, but can't we touch us. Can't touch us. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> but we do have a, a the, the white dude. You've seen the white. It is hot, dude. I, I freaking love it. I thought you were looking at me when you said the white, the white dude. dude. I was <laughs> like, come on. You've <laughs> seen the white, comma, dude. So uh, check them out. Option Studios got those done for us. UPS has not got them to us on time. So uh, you won't see the next jersey or the retail jersey until next week. So next week, if you want one of those jerseys, uh, hit me up. Let me know. Send me a message on, message on Facebook, Gra- Monty at GravityLabRadio.com. Hit us up there. Uh, if you want to order one, let me know. They're going to go for $75. Uh, there's no special customization, no names, no nothing. It just says Gravity Lab Radio. looks a lot like ours. Uh, check them out. Let me know. So I feel we, we only have a few minutes left here. But I, I want to uh, hear more about your year. So you, you had some humbling moments. You had some learning moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, all in all, you think it's a positive experience? Something you'd recommend to others? Uh, words of advice? It was an awesome experience. Did, did you get your money's worth? I definitely <laughs> got my money's worth. <laughs> um, I would definitely recommend it. I think having that hypercurrency works wonders for, for your skills and your fun levels. Um, Advice, uh, dedicate yourself to it and prepare more money than you think you need. Come, come with some savings? Come with some savings. So you, what were your unexpected uh, expenses? Well, I think you um, mentioned line sets to me before. Line sets and ideally canopies. You know, I would have budgeted more for, because I expected line sets and I kind of stretched out my current line set super needs replacing. Um, Not just canopy. I would consider gear because of... Wingsuits. If you're coming... It, it, forget wingsuits. If you're coming <laughs> in just with gear as a very new jumper, you might, by the end of the season, downsize enough to need a new container. Right, yeah. You don't need to be able to afford a full new container or a full new main. You just need to be able to afford the depreciation you've lost off of each product you sell. Mm-hmm. Um, wingsuits. Dude, how much are those? Oh man, new one like nineteen hundred between no seventeen and two. Shit. Yeah. Did you? Did I you know that? I would have imagined a smaller number. I would have. Th- I thought you were gonna say around a thousand. Yeah. Uh, depends on the wingsuit, maybe. But for like. I mean, I have no idea. That's just what was what yeah. I would guess. I paid a thousand for, uh, you know, Jason, the TI who was working here. He gave me a super good deal on his. It had like a hundred jumps on it. Freak too. That was a good deal in a steal. But, yeah, new one, like 1700 I think. Dude, I remember when Wingsuits were like $400, $500. Sound like my dad now. <laughs> I remember back in the day. Gas was a nickel. All right, so line sets, more money for gear. Yeah. Coaching. Get coaching. Definitely coaching, yeah. But how how would you say your, your, not your perspective, but just your overall thought of skydiving and what skydiving is about, has that changed throughout the year? Um, of what skydiving is about. I don't know. You see, you know, you're kind of exposed to a lot of different attitudes about it. 
from the the lifers, the people that work in skydiving uh, in, in many different fashions, the the weekend warriors, um, the like super weekend warriors, the, the Chuck Akers, the like organizers, the belly guys. Um, there are a lot of different ways to approach skydiving, a lot of different ways to practice it. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see where you settle in it throughout because there's a even if you start the year with a thousand jumps you're going to have a big evolution because of the short time you know what about openness willing to be open to different things for i I guess the the big way i'm phrasing this question is so many people think they're going to want to do something in your case you thought you wanted a wingsuit and you Mm -hmm. did follow that trail but do you think people should be more open to other disciplines Oh, for sure. Uh, definitely go in with an open mind. Um, try everything, and uh, hopefully try wingsuiting. Man, wingsuiting. I, I still can't <laughs> respect you just for that reason alone. <laughs> let's, let's just pretend I'm a new jumper. Uh-huh. I've got 200 jumps, Yeah. and I did something stupid. Mm-hmm. What could, could be whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't even know that I did the stupid thing. Yeah. I'm walking in from the landing area. Someone who I know, just because of who this person is, knows more than me. Mm-hmm. They're going to come talk mm-hmm. to me about some stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you were probably in this position a couple <laughs> of times this year. Yes. How, what advice do you have for someone when they find themselves in that position? As the offender? Yeah, as the person who's getting talked to. Be receptive, because you, you, especially if you don't know that you did something wrong, then you really need to listen. Um, if you know that you did something wrong... Um, I mean, equally, you need to listen, but uh, it's if it's it's basically the most important thing is it's not necessarily whether or not you think you were being unsafe. It's whether or not you made someone else uncomfortable. Um, and and that I, has I to need be my treated. safe space. You need your <laughs> you need your safe space. <laughs> yes. My hula hoop with a broom. <laughs> um, is uh, as uh, you say, as the offender and as the person approaching you, mm-hmm. people, please be careful how you approach somebody. And this weekend, man, I think I think I got a little bit lucky with how this weekend worked out. And I think you were there. Uh, we did a hop and pop load uh, maybe uh, two weekends ago, and dude downwinded it through everybody. Oh, yeah. And that guy was awesome. Uh, his, <laughs> I'll, I'll say his first name because his first name is so easy, John. And if you figure out the rest of who John was, congratulations. John, I, I met John in the loading area. You saw us in the loading area. And just I saw him. I looked down. I'm like, hey, bro, my name is DJ. What's your name? I'm John. Oh, nice to meet you, John. Welcome to Spaceland. Cool, dude. Thanks. Hey, bro, do you uh, normally wear your altimeter upside down? Oh, no, man. Thanks, homie. <laughs> so I, I, I catch him with his ultimate upside down. Super nice guy. And, and almost exactly. I think you were there. That's about exactly how it went down. Um, and then he lands completely downwind to everybody. And everybody on staff sees it. Our, our, our safety Nazis see it. When I say safety Nazis, I'm talking about the people who approach you rudely. Um, and, and God bless their passion. I, I love safety Nazis because of their passion. I don't always appreciate their delivery. But they, they give a shitload of fucking care. Um, to, to the guys who will say it nicely, to the guys who just don't care, everybody saw it. I'm like, oh, dude, I just met that guy. His name's John. Super nice dude. I'll take care of it. I'll talk to him. Mm-hmm. I let it be. I waited till he got back into the packing room. My theory, my philosophy, I think it's a smart one, is let them drop off their gear, let them decompress, 
Because number one, they probably know they fucked up. Number two, they're probably super hyped up about it. So their adrenaline's high and nothing's going to be received. And B, if they know they fucked up, they're probably kicking their own ass more than you could kick it. Let them chew themselves out for a little while. Mm-hmm. Let them chill down. Let, let, let that energy subside. I walk up to my boy. Hey, John, how you doing? I, I actually had to remember. Hey, what's your name again, John? Cool, dude. How was your jump? Oh, man, it was good, but, dude, super embarrassing. Well, what do you mean super embarrassing? Bro, my family, my parents are here for watching me jump for the first time. And I just read the windsock backwards. I just did that. And he owned every mistake. Just told me the whole story. Everything. I'm like, cool, dude. You're okay. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, as long as you're okay, it sounds like you learned your lessons. Never had to say a word. Mm-hmm. We talked for maybe five more minutes. Just got to know each other, where he's from, what he does for work and stuff. And at the end, he goes, bro, when I walked in, I knew. He, he said, thank you. Thank you so much for approaching me the way you did. When I walked in, I knew I fucked up. And I knew, A, my parents saw it, and B, I knew one of you guys were about to approach me, and I was about to get my ass chewed in front of my parents. He uh, commonly jumps at a drop zone where you might get fired for safety offenses. Um, so it, it's just really not the best uh, productive safety environment as far as the way people promote safety there. Right. Um, he's like, man, nobody approached me, and I was sitting here packing, wondering, like, what's wrong with this place? Should I even be here? Because nobody's approaching me. And then you approached me afterwards, and it, A, it made me feel better, but bro, thanks for not chewing me out in front of my parents. Yeah. Man, it, it, it's there's commonly somebody watching you jump who's your friend, your loved one, your family, your homies. They might be jumpers who watch you jump every day, but we don't want to be embarrassed in front of them. If we call you out in front of them, are you going to respond well? Not likely. If we have a productive conversation to the side, how are we going to do? Better. So I asked him to pull higher on a fucking podcast. I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> Back to backfiring. <laughs> so we want to wrap it up. We're, we're really past that bunny time, but uh, or pumpkin time. Uh, what's your goals for this year? Well, you know, I talked about getting my tandem rating. Mm-hmm. I changed my mind. I want my AFF rating. Lord help us. <laughs> Big trouble. Um, Get AFF rated and... Uh, what, what made you change your mind? I think that um, I want to leverage my, my ability to speak Chinese and that uh, I've maxed out my Chinese ability in tandems from helping, you know, visiting Chinese people doing tandems, telling, like, I've seen tandems instructors struggling to tell them, you know, like, what they're supposed to do on landing and stuff. So I've stepped in. But if I can use uh, my Chinese to help someone get licensed, I think it'll be more productive and probably more interesting for me. Are you saying you're ruling out tandems completely or are you just reprioritizing order? Just order. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, okay. I, would, I would think I'll definitely <coughs> do my... And how soon are you looking at doing your AFF rating? Next month or two. Okay. Um, a lot of the prerequisites I gave you to get ready for your tandem rating cross over to your AFF rating. Mm-hmm. Only a couple differences. Mm-hmm. So uh, did I give you the paperwork for that too? For AFF? Yeah. I think you did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's sit down. Let's hammer it out. Let's cool. sit down. Let's figure out some dates. We'll talk about it. Uh, other guys and gals, if you're interested in AFF course, uh, join Henry Guyber. We're going to try to put one together in February. That's cool. the goal. February work for you? Yep. It'll be the second half of February. I'm not even sure I can do that yet. Um <coughs> Dude, it's it's uh right now I have a very hectic and very uh flexible schedule, so I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Uh any other goals for this year? Um I mean, keep skydiving. Uh if it I w- I would like to compete 
I talked about competing uh, for nationals, mm-hmm. uh, wingsuit performance. It didn't work out this year, uh, but I I would like to uh, do performance category next year, or this year, rather. Why didn't you make it this year? Because I didn't have enough money. I, I didn't want to compete in my Freak 2. I wanted to actually be competitive, and, and for that, you need to have a race suit, and that's, you know, you're going to want a custom race suit, you know, built for your shape and size and so that's 1900 bucks plus the travel and the fees and man uh budget more for traveling yeah budget more for meats yep. and events yeah um you said meats i thought food i'm sorry <laughs> so originally your goal i believe was to do this for a year and then go back to the real world mm-hmm. now your goal is staying in skydiving uh, I'm trying to combine. We love you, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I want to combine the real world with uh, skydiving. So how exactly that'll manifest, I'll probably tell you in about three or four months. Any ideas, any, any goals, any thoughts that you can give out that, you can, that you're not afraid to say out loud? Um, I'm discussing working on... Uh, well, something China-centric, mixing China and skydiving and uh, figuring out. So you're thinking your AFF rating first to help get you into China sooner? Oh, I'm not going back to China. I'm bringing China here. <sighs> Asian drivers, no survivors. <laughs> oh, My people. My people. <laughs> I'm sure you know the story about the Chinese kid that got locked up over Christmas. Yes, I just heard about this. Oh, that's awesome. I did not hear this. Oh, uh, gosh, I'd have to look at Facebook to tell you his name. But just a, vis- a Chinese jumper came to get his A license, mm-hmm. uh, driving, uh, was getting pulled over and wasn't aware that flashy lights behind you meant pull over to the side <laughs> of the road. So he drove for another mile. And then the, I guess it sounded like he probably had an asshole police officer who just mm-hmm. kind of threw it all at him. But that he, uh, he spent spent some time in the slammer thanks to that <laughs> cop. In China, if a cop pulls up behind me with flashing lights, what's the law? <laughs> in China, if the cop's lights are on, it means he's on duty. The right. flashing, spinning lights. Yeah. So this isn't Man. just a BS excuse. No, it's a, no, it's a pretty legitimate excuse. Legitimately, like, yeah, in in China, yeah. flashing lights behind you just mean there's a there's a cop working behind you. They're not they're n- they're not on duty if the lights are not. Do flashing. you get pulled over in China? I mean, I don't. But how do you get pulled over then if the lights are on for? Like saying you're on you're on Ooh. business. Well, the lights are always on. Maybe it's a sound thing. That would make sense. Yeah. Okay. You assume that the cop would have uh, sound on as well. This is like third. I heard this from somebody who heard this from somebody. <laughs> so I heard this in manifest. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> I I heard that he figured out he was supposed to pull over when the cop turned his uh, like his spotlight on him, ah, and yeah, he thought, oh, this is about me. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, ends up he's driving a car of somebody else's who happens to be out of country, so the car's in the impound lot for mm. like a week and a half, which is going to be a, a thrifty bill. So it, it's a hot mess for this But, man, what a dude. bummer situation. Like, I just tried to imagine, like, God, what if I was in China getting my mm-hmm. s- scuba diving, whatever, any any sport, mm-hmm. you know, experience that's not that's not skydiving. But I'm in a foreign country, 
don't speak the language all that much, just there for, you know, what, what feels like a vacation. I get pulled over by the cops, can't communicate all that well, and I get thrown in the slammer. Man, I am bummed out in that situation. It sounds like Mexico to me. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what it much. sounds like, man. A Chinese guy going to America is like us going to Mexico, dude. It, it's got to be rough, dude. It, it really has to be. Um, so you're trying to mix it, too. So maybe leading some type of tourism to the U.S. for skydiving? Yeah, adventure tourism. Okay. Um, as we get wrapped up, as we get closing up, uh, any last things you want to share with your friends and family? No, just thank you for having me. It's uh, been a good year. Uh, when you get that know. video done, we will share it on, on the Facebook page. I'm sure all of your friends will share it all over the place, but I definitely can't wait to see it. Uh, guys and gals, thank you for listening. Uh, things to think about real quick. Uh, January 26th. Is that Saturday? Did I get that di- date right? Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. Right. Cool. That's a Saturday night. Our next movie night for Gravity Lab Radio at Skydive Spaceland Houston is going to be on the 26th. Uh, th- we're going to bring out that 100-inch screen. Greg, uh, the video guy, actually has got a 144-inch screen, so we're going to maybe up the ante a little bit, get that 12-footer out. Uh, we're going to put up the poll. It's going to be one of two movies. The movie choices, Mr. Law, are... The Lion King. And <laughs> drop, drop zone, zone. The actual <laughs> one, right? and yet those are the two choices. I'm you know, what if we just put Lion King on the screen for a little bit before the real movie starts, just just to make <laughs> some some people feel better? Because if I put Lion King on the movie and I have to turn it off mid movie, <laughs> Nicole Black will probably punch my kneecaps out. Okay, well let's just start it in the hangar. It'll be mostly a noise thing, right? With the with the intent being that we'll start the Lion King so that it finishes for us to start the real movie on time. Bingo. So, Because you could listen to the Lion King and kind of enjoy it, right? Because you're going to see it faintly on the screen. January 26th, we're going to start the Lion King. How long is the movie The Lion King there, uh, Young Simba? Young Simba's pulling that up right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to play that uh, that long before sunset, and shortly after sunset, we're going to start the movie Drop Zone. So we're not going to do the poll. We're not going to let people vote on this. Because I was going to let him vote. I mean, we could. I don't know. I don't care. Justin, we got to make a show decision. I mean, okay. Business. It's just a shitty skydiving movie. I want to see Drop Zone. I think I can actually make this one. Drop Zone. Cool. We're going to show Drop Zone. (laughs) We'll show that beforehand. So keep an eye out. Check it out. Uh, Safety Day is coming up. One hour and 29 minutes. One hour and 29. An hour and a half before sunset, we'll show Lion King. Um, (laughs) Safety Day is coming up the second Saturday of the month. Uh, Get to your local Drop Zone. Check it out. It's all about uh, going over good safety ideas, good safety seminars. If you're uber current, you need this to remind you of some fundamentals you probably forgot because you become a little complacent. Um, if, yeah, you're if, if you have that thought of, ah, I don't need to go to safety day, you, need <laughs> to go. you probably really need to go to safety day. <laughs> yeah. I go to safety day every year, and I learn something every year because I organize them. I, I organize them. I write all the seminars, and I still take something away from every presenter. I wrote it, and then I listen to them and hear something different. Uh, if you don't have one near you, the Rating Center, uh, check out the Rating Center fan page. We will be live broadcasting that there. Uh, Justin, we need to talk about that and see what availability is for you to help produce that again. Uh, so check out Safety Day there. Uh, we are working on karaoke night. Uh, once we get a, uh, I, I have a, a West Coast trip, Nick. I think you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking. About. Once I figure those dates out, we'll set a date for uh, karaoke night. I, yeah. I just got to get that that trip set up first. Yeah, and if you get some Chinese people in before karaoke night, <laughs> it's. Genius. You, you know they're going to be up there. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> do they? Do Chinese love karaoke? Oh, yeah. Do you know what karaoke means in Japanese? No. Stupid white people. <laughs> <laughs> white people can't sing. So can you. 
Um, so we'll have that coming up. Keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Uh, really love to thank uh, the Rating Center. Who at Rating Center, my company, sponsors the show. Uh, check out the Rating Center website. You can find out more about courses. We have coach courses, AFF courses, tandem courses, all coming up this month. Canopy courses monthly. You name it, we'll help you take care of it. Uh, also, like to thank Vo- uh, Velocity Sports Equipment, maker of the Infinity Rig and Option Studios, who makes our wonderful jerseys that will be on sale. Uh, they're on sale. You can hit me up. I will start taking a payment right away, and I will start delivering them next week. Seventy-five bucks plus ten dollars shipping. Justin, anything else you need to share? Uh, this weekend is a transitions event across all Spaceland drop zones for turns and translations. <clears throat> Man, check it out. Make sure you're there. A lot of dope free coaching. Our buddy Gator Chris is going to be the lead mentor in San Marcos this weekend, helping out the new San Marcos crew. Valerie, Michael Erickson running it up in Dallas. Valerie here. Mr. P, what you got? I think that's it. That's it. I think I'm good. Henry, in one word, define skydiving for you now that you've done it for a year. One word. That's a lot of pressure. Fun. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Fun. Fun. That's it. White boy. Give me one word. word. (laughs) That's it. Guys and gals. This is Grab Lab Radio. Next week, we should be on Friday. We're not 100% sure. We're going to be looking at a new jumper, a good buddy of ours, somebody past the 100 skydives and how the sport has affected their life and the show. They're a huge fan. Till then, Gravity Lab Radio, Blue Skies, Justin's a white guy. I quit. I am one. <laughs> Did you really? If you were to Are make it quitting? two words, would it be a decision altitude? <laughs> oh, poor <pull hard. laughs>